Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay, once again, your very tired curator. And I'm Shanna. I'm recording a podcast. Wait, I have headphones on. Why do I have headphones? Am I been, have I been gaming? My television isn't on. Who am I talking to? Who's talking to me? Oh, mm-hmm. boy, it's such a beautiful day. Was a it's an experience. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we'll get to that later. Yeah, uh, the first entry here, we're continuing our little loved Gamera series, uh, continuing from the films in the arrow box of the complete Gamera. Uh, and uh, this uh, this time we're on Gamera versus Virus uh, by director Noriaki Yuasa, who also did the first and third in the series uh, from 1968. Oh, oh cool. Uh, so this is one that's a little lesser seen because it's one that wasn't ever covered by Mystery Science Theater. Oh, did they do what? Did they do like a bunch of different Gamera's? They did five of them. Oh wow! Uh, so they did the first three, and then five, and one of the later ones. I want to say, I think. Okay. Uh, and this one is. Four, right? This is the fourth, yeah. Yeah. Because there's a uh, Gamera, Gamera versus Baragon, uh, Gamera versus Gauss, and now Virus, and then next up will be Gyron. And this one is a, a noticeable step down in terms of budget. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is noticeable. You did mention, uh, I think last week that. Uh, there's a lot of recycled inf- or uh, footage being used here, and I thought it would be, you know, just recycled footage of him using s- different attacks, like uh, like what Sailor Moon or the Power Rangers do. And right, mm, while there's no, that no. too, <laughs> there's some of that. <laughs> there's some of that, but that's not what you meant. <laughs> yeah, it's more recycled entire scenes. A lot of them, in fact, depending on which version you watch, quite a lot of them. Uh, which version did you watch, by the way? Um, I think I watched the theatrical one. Okay, so, so that, that one does got, have more. Okay, because yeah, we've got him destroying the dam again. Yeah, the same dam. I was like, I was watching. I'm like, is this this? This is the same dam. This is the same damn scene. It this is the, the one. same damn scene. It is. There is a lot. Like this one is mostly like almost all of the fights are recycled like there there are two new fights and one of them is very short yeah one is like the the cold open intro fight which is short but sweet and one is the end which is pretty awesome yeah (laughs) it's all right it's got some great stuff in it i I think there's some really excellent stuff in it and probably the best stuff in the movie other than some of the alien spacecraft stuff which is pretty cool this one's kind of more of a kids adventure movie Gamera's not in it a whole lot Gamera's not in it and uh unlike the last two where well baragon's movie the baragon's a real outlier yeah but he wasn't really in it for the first half but the second half was his movie it's all baragon yeah yeah uh, whereas the gauss movie was Gauss's movie, but the virus, the monster doesn't, it's just kind of there so that Gamera has something to fight at the end, it feels like. 
well, it's yeah, not I mean, really part of the, I mean, it is part of the plot, but. I, I, I honestly, I would say that Virus is more of a character in this movie than Gamera. Uh, oh, I agree with that, too, actually. Yes. Like, it, it's much more just a movie about two kids on an adventure. And, you know, Gamera is sort of there to help out when needed until the big final battle, which is just, you know, monster brawl. Yeah. Uh, and this does open pretty much directly from the previous one. Uh, we open in space uh, with uh, the 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 really cool spacecraft. I quite like the design of this. It's very simple. I like I like everything about the aliens except the aliens. Like the the, the final form, you mean? Um. Yeah. Well, the fact that they're humans with hats. Um, well, the, although the, I do like the eye effect that they do. Right. We'll we'll totally get to that. But I I think they're interesting. I I sort of like that they're meat suits. Uh, they're you know just borrowed bodies from Japan ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> Not uh, that actually, we understand that for quite some time. No, we don't learn anything about these aliens. Well, we still don't learn much of anything about the aliens. No, but yeah, you know, it's pretty basic. Uh, but I really, to, yeah. I really like their spacecraft. It's this weird ring of five pods that are black and yellow. They look like bee butts. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of like, um, oh, what do you call it? Like, like one of those bead bracelets, but with the with like big beads. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and it spins like Gamera in space. Yep. Yep. I like and its interior quite a bit as well, like the the orange red light of the inside and Oh yeah, the and the the hexagons and the triangles. I yeah, thought that oh, was really cool. Uh it's a honeycomb and bee motif for the whole thing. How did I not even catch that? Like I the thing the outside totally made me think of bees, but I did not catch the honeycomb bit of the inside, but it totally makes sense because yeah, wow, it totally makes sense. They're they're bees in everything but appearance. Yeah, and it's got you know they're a hive mind and yeah, they got the worker bees. You've got the queen, king, yeah. whatever. And and <laughs> like they're they're all these hexagonal modular panels with all of these little uh, triangular flashing crystals within them that can be moved around and uh, seem to power the ship in some sort of way. There's this central. Uh, I don't even, I, I, it looks like a lighting fixture that sort of seems to be commanding the ship at the start. I thought that was the alien actually. Well, yeah, at at the beginning, it really does seem to be because it talks through it. Uh, it's got this ball of lights and yellow neon tubing sort of all around it and wires. It it looks kind of like a molecule or atom. I kind of thought of it as like. A Spencer's gift shop uh, lighting fixture, like a ball kind of thing, but painted yellow Mm -hmm. and with, yeah, different color lights instead of the green and reds that you would see more like yellow. It's pretty much uh, orange red in this first part. You you got kind of the the deeper colors here and then it sort of moves to yellow later when we're spending most of the time in the ship. And then there's like other rooms that are blue, but like they're all just the same room that they redressed because, again, yeah. Much lower budget for this film. Oh, yeah. Well, the first in this first scene, um, every time we see the inside of the ship, I'm sure it's just the same shot. Um, 
and they just had different voiceover over it. And it's fine. It works because in here, there's no reason for the ship to have a physical crew yet. Well, I don't know if necessarily they're the same shot. I think it's just, you know, them using the same room over and over again because it does flash uh, the 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 lighting fixture or whatever it is oh, flashes yeah. along with the talking like it it flashes in time with the voice which is why it kind of seems like it's what's doing the talking well i i think it is i wonder if that's where the consciousness of the aliens is stored when they're not uh possessing meat suits i'm not sure very possibly not explained at all but that that's my theory yeah i mean something like that and it definitely seems to be where uh, the main alien is speaking through it because when we have the main alien at the end uh, getting prepared for the final battle, it has this voice or, you know, the, the same voice that's been talking through that the whole time rather than the individual guy voices. Oh, I never noticed that because by the time we actually see the alien leader talking again, it's been so long since we've heard the commanding ball voice that I forgot what it sounded like. Right. So the voice is telling the crew, which is totally unseen, we just have this weird empty room, uh, that they're on their way to attack Earth. And they say that it's the most similar to their own planet in the universe. And I guess, you know, it's one of these things where they have polluted it too much or overpopulated too much, so they need more space. Yeah, or, you know, maybe, maybe they just want our spice. Maybe. Maybe. And an alarm goes off because Gamera is nearby. And this this is kind of picking up right after the previous film because he departed Earth at the end, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. He went he went up into outer space. Yeah. And this is what happened. (laughs) So all of these films take place like immediately one after another. It has been a busy two weeks for Japan. Well, it's weird because Gamera's. Uh, legend has really grown over the time and he's become a very different character and this is the one where he very distinctly becomes the friend to children everywhere like it's actually stated in this one it's it's stated it's very much a plot point um it's in this one it's the driving force behind his character like at no point Uh, is gamera seen as scary in this one or as dangerous to humans even though like We have some sequences where he's being controlled by the aliens so that we can reuse some footage. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess <laughs> I guess the the humans are quick to forgive him for the first time that he destroyed the dam and know that he's being mind controlled the second time. I yeah, guess. I, I guess. Well, you know, it's it's very kid oriented and it's kid perspective. So as long as he's friends to kids, that's sort of the important thing. But these uh, yeah, aliens, true. Who cares what the adults think? They've got their stupid political bullshit. It's it well, just gets in the way. The the adults basically really don't even exist in this either. Movie. Not in this one. No, they're, they're there to what, scold the kids and be wrong about it. And Although they do help provide the solution by reminding do. them of things. But like at this point, we got just Gamera in space with the spacecraft and he's just, you know, spinning around. This is the only time in the movie we're going to see him doing his spinning, I believe, with all the rockets. Uh, Too expensive. Yes, actually, 
Uh, yeah, very expensive um, to light all of those up. So after well, this part, he just shuts down to a couple. Well, no, he he does it again in the damn scene, but that, do, oh, that well, doesn't yeah, count. Oh, yeah, I mean that doesn't. It's count. the same damn scene. So <sighs> they. I'm gonna fire... get so much mileage out of that pun. Great. They fire lightning at him, right? And yeah. he starts quote unquote ramming them. It, it's very clearly like you know, a couple puppeteers with models on strings and like, it's kind of lightly being set on the spacecraft model. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it's not one of the better effects. Like this one does have some pretty good ones, but it's, uh, some of these are you know, a little bit ropier. They had a lot less time. They had a lot less money. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing in this one that's quite like the helicopter being cut in half scene. Nothing no, really no, goes. Nothing that. Nothing even really comes close to that. No. And so Gamera just comes back around with just the two back rockets on after uh, they 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 fire extinguisher him. So this is the end of the other rockets. Not going to use those the rest of the movie. <laughs> They've been extinguished. It's like, well, you know what? These things cost way too much money to repair or to fire. And if he's just going to extinguish him, I'm just going to. I'm just going to bite him. Well, he comes with his arms outstretched, which is really interesting. He's got just like the back rockets going and he's got like his arms out uh, oh, yeah, and like he punches Superman. a hole in the ship. Yeah, he punches a hole in the ship. Um, they jettison that ball. Well, first he like there, there's that shot of him looking in to that oh, pod yeah. and breathing fire inside. And then yeah, they jettison which, it with him stuck on it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, he abandons it, it explodes, and he starts chasing them. And this is maybe the best. Just, this is like, so good. Pure perfect moment in this movie where he's chasing and then they're like, they, we, we must contact Homestar Virus. Uh, send another ship because we've failed. <laughs> yep, Earth... Let it be known that Earth has a protector, and his name is Big Explosion. Ship is dead. Title screen: Gamera versus, versus Space, Space Monster, Monster Virus. Virus. Notably, Gamera is uh, flamethrowering in the vacuum of space throughout this whole opening <laughs> sequence. Just, you know, he, he can do it anywhere. Atomic fire, let's say. No, that's Godzilla. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, ga Gamera fire. He, he just, you know, he can. He just can. Yeah, and this notably is... Maybe it's napalm. Wait, would I that, don't know. Would, I don't know. Would that even work? I don't, I don't think so. I how fire works in space. Fire does not work in space. Fire needs but oxygen. But Star Wars... Hmm. Star Wars doesn't have fire in space. It's, it's, fire no, they is, have sparks. Yeah, that's different. Yeah. Fire requires oxygen. There is not oxygen in space. Uh, but hmm. notably in the opening credits, we have the Gamera March, a very famous, yep. the, the theme song, much parodied, uh, very famously parodied on Mystery Science Theater. Gamera, Gamera. Uh, we, uh, we did see, I think, this song in the end credits of Gauss. No, there was a or, different oh, one. Oh, was that a different one? There was one? a different Gamera March in that oh, one. This okay. is... The proper Gamera March. This is the really famous version. 
And I, I would also note that during the opening credits, one of the notable ones is special thanks to Boy Scouts of Japan. Very important in this movie. Very important. In fact, I'd argue the Boy Scouts are more important than Gamera is in this movie. Well, they're the leads. Yeah, they are. Uh, especially uh, these two that we're going to meet soon. These two. And notably, we have... Uh, so there's Masao, who's our main genius boy. He, he's our typical Gamera boy, but he's sort of a special version in that he's a super genius. I think the other ones have all been kind of dim. Well, no, I think the the guy with the... Oh, no, that's the itching ray guy. That wasn't a Gamera. Um, yeah, that was Gongri. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, no I'm, I'm thinking of the wrong kid. The, the kid in Gauss wasn't... That was Aichi. Yeah, he was. Uh, he wasn't a super genius. He was ordinary, wasn't he? He was very ordinary. He was cute. Uh, he was likable. He oh, was just, you know, that... being res- rescued all the time. That was his yeah. Thing. He had that shitty reporter leave him to die in the cave in. Yeah. Uh, and there's also Jim, uh, who is a white kid, and th- this was kind of mandated because they were uh, co-produced this with. This was co-produced by AIP, American International Pictures, uh, who, you know, fronted some of the money. But they were like, we want a white kid and it'll make it a lot easier to sell in America. So they they had, you know, a sidekick who's a white kid. Yeah, OK. I mean, and he's pretty sure. good. He's, <laughs> he's, he's fine. fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's definitely not a detriment to the movie. Yeah, no. And he's. uh like he does a commentary on the movie and everything. Seems oh, like really? a good dude. Um, uh, they 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 do play up the Americanness of him a little bit by having him being really good with a lasso. Yes, uh, the lasso is his kind of thing. Um, yeah, and of course both of them are Boy Scouts, so they have their Boy Scout uniforms. Although, and yeah, got Boy the ropes and all would that use stuff. lassos. You're right. Uh, they use not rope. Even stereotypical. That that's normal. You're right. That's normal. Well, it's definitely supposed to be a cowboy thing for sure. Yeah. And so we we get we open at the scout camp near Tokyo, and everybody's singing. There's just singing everywhere, and they're like, "Where's Masao?" They're like, "Oh, he's always late." And they know he's off with Jim somewhere, but they don't know where he is. And they're all assembling for head count. And uh, the the sh- the scout leader, Mr. Shimada, is like, it's those two again, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> They're always causing trouble. There's one of these in every class. First it was Spicoli, now eh, not quite. They're not a Spicoli. No, not even close. Not even close. But they are hanging out at the International Ocean Research Laboratory. Uh, they're watching some scientists working on this miniature sub. Uh, really annoying mischief music, I gotta say. I, I really don't like the music for them being mischievous. It's it's uh, it's it's the deep goofy music kind of feel, you know? It just yeah. I hate that. That it's so annoying to me. It didn't really register to me. Oh, it, it it really bugs me. Oh, actually, although is that the music that played when they were swimming alongside Gamera later on? Uh, yeah. I mean, it plays a few okay, times. It that, plays a lot. That was a little. That did kind of strike me as like this music is too 
Uh, yeah, okay. If that's the song, then I'm thinking it is not great for a lot of scenes. Right. And so these kids, they sneak into this miniature sub uh, there because the, the scientists all leave after preparing it. And they, they have this whole thing about how, oh, adults will never let us use this. Adults this, adults that. that that's sort of a thing they go Turns to. Turns out the adults this. absolutely intended to let them use the sub. They were preparing it for them. Uh, <laughs> it was for the kids, but, but they, they ruined it. They decide to go in and sabotage it. And he's a super genius, so he's able to just reverse the controls by, like, you know, moving some wires around. He switched the positive and negative cables so yeah. that... <laughs> that's sure. The, yeah, sure, exactly. <laughs> it's exact, that's exactly it. It's like, yeah, sure. Um, and even if it did work, the way they said, the way they're presenting it... You could kill people. This oh, is yeah, a absolutely. submarine. This it's, is it's a, very dangerous. A fucking scooter. And I mean, this, you got a crack in that thing and you're dead. I mean, this, this sub was a real sub, but was actually pretty dangerous. Like, you know, it, it was a used, uh, not in very good condition, leaky sub. And I think they put it in the water and it did sink. But oh, uh, the. This is when we cut back to the scout camp and his sister has this two-way wrist radio as well as a special compass specifically for locating his position. This must happen a lot that he's just like off in the wind. Well, it turns out uh, that he invented the watch with the compass. So I think he has ADHD or, or something else. That, like, he wanders off and he knows it's a problem, so he's made this thing so that it's easier for the sister to be responsible for him because, you know, he he wants to make it easier for her, but he doesn't want to stop being a little shit. I mean, to be honest, that doesn't sound like Masao. <laughs> no. No. It, it just seems like he in, he he invented it because it's a cool gadget. Uh, he yeah. wanted a two-way wrist radio maybe because he saw Dick Tracy with one. Uh, but. Be. He they they they're able to locate that he's at the lab, which is where they're going anyway. So whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they get out of the sub and like the wind blows his hat up on top of a pole, so we can <laughs> have Jim demonstrate his lasso ability because you know it's going to be needed later on, sort of. Sort of. He uses it later on. I don't know if it's really needed or does anything when he does. Yeah, I don't get how well we'll get to it <laughs> so like the, the scouts are planning to visit this lab to ride the sub uh and yep. and we get the scientist uh doctor i don't know if it's doby or Duby. <laughs> it's d-o-b-y and their scout leader shimada uh they're gonna get in first you know they, they're gonna demonstrate the controls to you kids because this is dangerous stuff and it's a real deep goofy music intensifies kind of moment <laughs> mm-hmm. like it's <laughs> it gets kind of jazzy here they're you know they're trying to use the ship's controls reversed and they can't figure it out uh and it yeah the, sh- the sub's just bouncing around um it's clearly it's just silly. like in a tub you know uh they they yeah. run it into some rocks it's quite dangerous they could have died uh but oh yeah they come back and it's like now no one gets to use the sub because it's ruined it's not working and they have to kind of they they don't own up to it 
which is interesting because nope. I don't think they own up to it ever or did they own up to it when they're on the ship and communicating by radio because eventually well, at some the point they would have had to because yeah no huh yeah, I don't, but I don't remember know if they them ever owning actually, up to it. Yeah, I, I feel like Shimada just figures it out because these kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably like, oh, I bet they reverse the polarity on the submarine. Bet they could do it on the alien ship. But they really pull sort of a fast one on them. They're like, Jim is like, well, this scientist just doesn't know what he's doing. Masao's a super genius. He can do it. <laughs> yeah, so they let him get into this submarine, which they have proven is not safe. Well, yeah, I mean, these are little shits. They, uh, what could it go wrong? <laughs> we lose these annoying kids. Although the world is very protective of these kids, as the world, later, like absurdly so. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> oh, I have words about that. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a strange scene. But oh. they take the sub out. <laughs> And yeah. meanwhile in space, we see another bee craft coming in, another ring of bee butts heading in from outer space. And we, we cut inside to this light fixture, and it's like, we're going to have to destroy Gamera. I mean, we can't even attack the Earth if Gamera is there. He's, he's the protector. Well, let's uh, analyze his brain with our super telepathic powers or telepathic well, first, computer. First, we get the silly scene of them, quote unquote, racing Gamera. Gamera, with very visible strings, is swimming oh, alongside yeah, right. the sub. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Jim's like, holy shit, what the hell is that giant monster? Oh, it's just Gamera. Don't worry about that. Yeah, but I was like, don't worry. He's he a friend to all says, children. Friend to all children. First time we've heard it. At this point, I did the whole like Bart Simpson or um, the Simpsons meme with her, where everyone's like, "Yay!" Say the line. Yeah. Say the line. Yeah. <laughs> so they race Gamera. I actually no, this is the march again. They they play the Gamera march again. Yeah, they're not racing. They're just, you know, Gamera. And it's like swimming alongside the dolphins. So uh, right, it's Gamera. They're, like, they're going under and around him. They, they you know they go through his legs and stuff. Uh, but then the alien ship has located them, and it fires the super catch ray. So, so this is why I, I kind of think that the ship is Pokeballs and Pokemon. Yeah, because it is just like this red translucent dome that they trap him in. Uh, and, of course, the kids are trapped in it as well, because, you know, they're swimming around him or whatever. And yeah. notably... This dome it jams the wrist radio frequency, and suddenly, like, oh no, we're running low on oxygen. It's like, maybe you shouldn't have been fucking around Gamera all that time. I don't know if you were <laughs> running low. Freaking broken submarine. Yeah. That you broke yourself. See, if they were smart, as soon as they got back in, they would have fixed the sub and then did their thing. But it's weird that they don't fix it. I mean, it. I guess it doesn't uh, ultimately I, matter. That doesn't matter at all, and piloting it despite the odd controls is pretty big flex. Yeah, and they immediately, like, Gamera, you have to help us. 
It's like, oh no, this is a disaster. We're we're low on oxygen and we can't do anything. And Gamera, you know, sort of lifts the edge of the bubble up with his toes. Gets a little shock, but they're able to get out. Yeah. Um, one thing I kind of want to mention about this movie, uh, Evangelion has really long scenes, just long shots where nothing happens that add a whole lot to the story. Um, Neon Genesis Evangelion, the 1996 mm, anime, mm. for those who aren't familiar. This has a lot of really long scenes that, not not to that extent, but definitely longer than they should be. Long shots, it feels like. Everything feels like it's about 20% longer than it should be. Which is amazing, because this is a really short movie, and a full 30% of the version I watched is recycled footage. There's a lot of recycled footage, like a yeah. ton of recycled footage. And yeah, it's it's thin. Like you mm-hmm. you can really tell that they had to stretch to fit this budget. Like it it, it took a lot because these are big effects movies. Effects are completely central to how yeah. a camera movie works. Yeah, yeah. And so they um, cut to these aliens and they're like, the super catch rate only lasts 20 minutes. So uh, we're going to have to figure something out here. And this is where we get our clip show and we get like a solid like 25 minutes of clips here <laughs> wow um, something like that it's huge because it, they're exploring his memories yeah we we see him right like we see him, the version i saw we just saw they want they they wanted to observe his birth so we see him rising out of the ice in the first movie and then they skip to him saving the kid from the last movie, uh, nudging up to the Ferris wheel. Right. So in in the other version, the uh, director's cut, it's two entire Baragon fights. Oh, wow. Yeah, Baragon and, didn't show up in mine. And then we have uh, the fight with Gauss where he saves Aichi, which is, you know, the key one here. That's the really yeah. important one. And uh, the ray wears off. And the aliens prepare to attack because they're like, okay, we've got it. He loves children. He's a friend to children all everywhere. This is uh, what we're going to use against him. Yep. Then we cut to the adults uh, or, or Masao and Jim, you know, get, they get the sub back and they, they talk to the adults uh, and they don't believe them that Gamera was there uh, because Jim, he's always taking pictures with this Polaroid camera, but he is not using it properly. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's obviously it seems not using like it it's going to be a Chekhov's gun, but the camera never gets used to effect. No, and like it's it's not the proper use of a Polaroid to begin with. Like he's just always clicking and never taking out the photo. There's never a flash. Uh, yeah, he never has the flash on. Well, and of course, when go ahead. So I'm I'm just saying, no, he he doesn't know how to use it. No, obviously, and like. He does say specifically in this one that, you know, it was too dark and, you know, they there there is a photo somehow, even though that's not how a Polaroid works, of course. But, you know, they, they just have a photo of darkness because, you know, you can't take a photo in a submarine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't work. But then, of course, the aliens show up and Gamera comes out of the water and the adults are instantly proven wrong because that's what happens to adults. Yeah, th- this... One of the things I mentioned liking about the other Gamera movies is how mankind comes together with a creative solution to the problem. That doesn't happen here. The adults don't do anything. 
this one is very purely a kid's movie completely. Yeah. Uh, so immediately Masao and Jim just run down the beach waving at Gamera. They they don't really think much about the aliens. They're just like, oh yeah, my god, Gamera! They're running towards the alien ship. <laughs> and of course, they are hit by the super catch ray themselves. And I yep. really like the the bubble on the beach with them in it. I like that effect. And the aliens are like, okay, prepare the brainwave decryption device. Yeah. So they're they're talking to Gamera now. They've decoded his uh language. I don't know. I, I think they've just like read his brain like a movie. Well, they, it seems they do, to be. They do have like their whole thing is telepathic power. So right. Some kind somehow they're able to communicate with him. The how doesn't not quite yet until they attach the device to him. But oh, like I thought there there is a specific device that they launch at him once the kids are on the ship. Yeah, no, th- there's that. But they 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 talk to him first though. Hmm. Or, or at least in the one I saw. Hmm, not that I'm aware of, but I don't remember. But like, oh no, what, no, what you're right. It's when they get onto the ship that's when they talk to him. I'm yeah, sorry, you're right. Uh, but so they're one of the things about the one thing I really like with the ship is the alien radar screen. Sometimes it's images of the outside, but whenever it isn't, it's just a kaleidoscope. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, it's pretty neat. And I like that from the outside. Anytime you see it, like just you know the the exterior of the ship in the daylight, it's always pulsing with yellow light. It like you know pulses brighter and darker as it moves around. I think that's really cool. Oh, I never noticed that. Uh, okay, so ultimately, right? They they're threatening to kill the kids to keep Gamera at bay because now they've got the kids. So they're like, okay, now we have something to uh, negotiate with. They they teleport the kids onto the ship. They're like, all right, we we've got these kids, Gamera. We we know how much you love kids. So don't don't do anything or we will or we'll kill these kids. Yeah. Uh and we we get the aliens. The the first shot of them they're they're pretty simple. They just look like dudes. They're they're four Japanese dudes. Uh yeah, except the they can fly. Actually, the kids actually end up thinking that they were taken prisoner too. Which right. is kind of a reasonable thing to think. That's kind of what I thought at first. It's like, well, I no, I didn't they did. because they, yeah, yeah. Like my my assumption would be that they are like literal people that like their bodies have been stolen to occupy. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are prisoners, aren't they? And notably, they're able to fly down these corridors between the pods. And the kids try to, but can't. And this is another one where they're like, <laughs> they make all the fun stuff only for adults. <laughs> it's like, they you're not aliens. walk down the corridor. <laughs> you can't fly because you're not aliens. It's not the corridor. Yeah. Uh, it's, you don't know how the ship works yet, but you will. So, so the aliens, they prepare this brainwave device. And it's this, it's, it's like another, you know, keeping with the yellow striped ball motif it's this little tiny globe about size of a baseball and they fire it out of like this like cannon on one of the pods and like it becomes gigantic when it sticks to gamera because like 
you can see it on camera from a great distance. <laughs> you will oh, not yeah. see a it's baseball. Like, <laughs> see, it's the size of a baseball relative to Gamera, and it's also the size of a baseball relative to the aliens. It's I think it's just the size of a baseball relative to whoever it's touching. Yeah, I mean, I guess it has that Megatron thing where he, he changes from a handgun to a giant robot, right? Yeah, gigantic robot, but otherwise he's like a little tiny gun that fits in Starscream's head. And he lets Starscream use him of all people. It's like, I could just break this gun! But he can't. It. He can't well, because it's it's so super dense because it's a giant robot. It's Megatron, like, and Starscream knows he can't kill Megatron. Not of really. Course not. You failed me for the last time. But, oh, I uh, assure you I'll fail you many more times. But so, it, like, when it's on camera, it's like the size of a midsize automobile. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, but, all, all, of course, now they can control him. Uh, they're going to just, like, they don't even, they, they kidnap the kids very briefly here and have them as hostages. But they don't need them as hostages after this point. They already have Gamera under control now. Well, it turns out, even though they don't need the kids as hostages, then keeping the kids was a very good tactical decision on their part, whether it was intentional or not. I guess. <laughs> so, because like, nobody wants to attack. Well, we're I, we're not there yet, but we're not yeah, there. For it quite turns a out. But like, the the kids explore the ship a bit. We find they have a replicator on the ship, can make juice and sandwiches, which look. Like they're made of styrofoam. Yeah. Uh, well, the juice. I liked the cup that the juice was in. Yeah, it's I not bad. It looks neat. Like, like it's it really looks big. Like it, it looks like an alien cup. Like okay. an alien's idea of what a cup would be, or, or, or even like a cup from an alien world. Hmm. Uh, notably, in the commentary, the guy who plays Jim said, uh, "All it tasted really bad." <laughs> Oh, horrible really? juice, horrible sandwiches. Oh, they could have just gotten good juice. <laughs> and like you can see oh, him budget cuts. He, he takes a, a a mouthful of uh, one of the sandwiches, and you just see him just like just like kind of it's it's on the side of his mouth, and he is just keeping it there. <laughs> Maybe aliens don't know how to make food that tastes good to humans. I guess not. I mean, Maybe. who knows what they're into? I mean, they seem like they're bees, but they're like sea bees. They're they're underwater space squid bees, and you know, maybe it's like inky flavored instead of like a honey. Ooh. Oh, oh! Right? So they should have asked for like squid ink pasta, which I've never had and would never have. Yeah, no, I I don't but, eat seafood. <laughs> and I'm I, allergic. <laughs> and I'm vegetarian, so I wouldn't have it either. But it is a thing. It's out it there. It is a it's thing. Real. And, I mean, it is Japan, so they might be into it. But yeah, th this is <laughs> so where maybe this is squidding juice and sandwiches. I guess so. Like they they figure from this replicator that or Masao anyway, because he's a super genius, deduces yeah. that the ship runs on telepathy. He ends up being correct because you know, of although sort of correct, because like it's also powered by all of these crystals. But he figures that out intuitively as well in just a very absurd way, like an amount of. Uh, intuition about how they work that seems uh, impossible but you know he's a super genius kid unless that, he it's a wizard oh, did it kind of thing unless he pulled a um, jeff goldblum and hacked the ship 
uh, with telepathy, but it's instead of a computer, the kids, shitty kidness, telepathically hacked the ship. No, no, no this isn't working no, out. I don't get it. <laughs> no, no, it's not go- he, not doing it. He physically moves the the crystals around later, but like he just intuitively knows, which is weird. But like telepathy, he, he figured it out. Here they're like, okay, well, we want some weapons and a parachute so we can fight these guys and escape. And <laughs> the replicator's like, what? Hello, uh, guns? And, and like an alarm goes off. Like, and the aliens all come in. And this is that really cool shot. Maybe the coolest shot in the movie. Uh, oh, where with the all eyes. of these. Yeah. So they're like, they're all in a row and their faces are all darkened. And their eyes yeah. just glow and flash orange. So yeah, cool. I wasn't on board with the human aliens until this moment. And then I was like totally sold. I was like, okay, I see what you're doing. I like this. It's um, really I cool bet it looks shot. like ass in the light, but it looks so good. Like yeah, it's, it's just it's so, un- it's just uncanny Valley enough. Right. Like the eyes don't look very real, but they flicker enough that you're not looking at them for too long. Cause like the, like, much like, uh the the light fixture earlier it flashes when they speak but yeah. all of them flash when one of them speaks which is you know showing that it is a hive mind that they're all kind of related minds yeah it's 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 really cool i really i really like that design and it i, I was kind of worried that it would get overused but it doesn't but no, if anything i'd good. say it's underused this is kind of the only time you really get a good feature of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're like, okay, you kids are free to roam the ship because we're not afraid of you. But And we have safeguards <laughs> in these things. These so. guys clearly don't understand the version of Earth that they're trying to invade. Well, they don't understand what it's like dealing with the super genius kid in a kid's movie. Exactly. And notably, the they all appear to be Japanese, and like the kids are aware. And it's like hmm, it's weird that these are all just like people. And that's strange. And Jim takes a couple pictures of them, and they're like, "Okay, we'll we'll try to trick the computer," which doesn't really work out. We'll, we'll order some fruit, and obviously they'll give us a knife with it, <laughs> <laughs> especially if we remind it to. Make sure you don't peel it and give me a knife for the fruit. Which is like, no, no, kids. <laughs> so they just go to explore the ship instead. And uh, we we see in one of these other rooms, a blue version of one of these rooms, there's an alien who takes this canister out of a wall and goes to, I guess, feed the squid. Yeah. That, that, now, at this point, it really looks like the squid is... A prisoner. Yeah, and In that's fact, what the they kids figure. even think that too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like the way it's introduced with a tentacle taking Masao's hat. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Uh, I, I actually I thought this would be like the fun silly alien that's going to help him until I saw it space and I was like, oh, this is this is the one from the from the cover. No, this is the bad alien. Well, and also notably, it has glowing orange eyes, just like. The, Just like the aliens the we al- saw yeah. like a moment before. So with an angry face, a very angry, angry. So you know, they they could have maybe seen it coming, but they spend quite a bit of time on it. It's like, oh, it's a prisoner, and Jim's like, let's free it. And 
I, I do like the missile. I was like, I don't know if, if you were just like wandering around somewhere and you found a lion in a cage, would you just open the cage? That seems like a bad idea. <laughs> Honestly, that was, I'm so glad I heard that because if I were like, say if I were, if I encountered this scenario in a video game, I would 100% free the alien. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. If I encountered this thing in real life, maybe I'd hesitate or or maybe I'd free the alien and die. And I like that Masao does have the presence of mind here to be like, I don't know. Doesn't that seem stupid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like this, obviously it's locked up for a reason. I don't know what the reason is, but that's not the point. And like when he's talking about freeing it, it does seem to understand. And, you know, obviously it does understand ultimately. Oh yes. But it's playing the long con. Oh, you know what? That that makes sense because later on he uh, tries to trick the guard and say the monster is free and the guard's like worried. And I'm like, why would the guard be worried if. Yeah, that is something. Yeah, like I, but I, I don't quite. Hong Kong. I, I don't quite get Although why no, they act surprised there. That that is a yeah. problem that that I want to get to get there. Yeah, but yeah, we'll we'll get to it. When. At this point, this is where we get Jim showing off his lasso skills again, and this is kind of a cool thing because he pulls one of the guards' arms off with it. <laughs> yeah, just uh, just detaches. Um, and like the guy laughs. Like a, <laughs> it even has like a gore effect on the stump. It goes very mild, but you know, yeah, very, very mild. And, and like the guy laughs and it just like returns to him on its own, which is cool. Like, I guess they're modular, even though these are bodies that they've taken, they can, they can just like pull them to bits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it really is like a puppet kind of situation, like a marionette sort of thing. Yeah. And they, uh, ultimately like, okay, we're done with you kids roaming the ship. You're clearly can't be trusted. And they clamp them to the wall. (laughs) (laughs) The the degree to which the aliens underestimate these kids, because so far the kids haven't even done anything special yet. No, they're just underestimating ordinary kids at this point. Yeah. I like that. Masao says, damn it. (laughs) When when they're clamped up, just, I, it was very surprising to me. Just damn it. (laughs) But yeah, the, the two of them, like it's just two big clamps and the two of them are side by side on one of the walls. (laughs) This I was, yeah, I was looking at that and thinking this would be so easy to escape. And it turns out it is. It does turn out to be extremely easy. Uh, But this is where we get some more clip shows uh the aliens are like all right gamera we want you to attack okumasashi dam and i'm like again hey you've <laughs> seen this before it's the opening to baragon completely recycled yep. completely recycled gamera is coming back we just fixed this thing i thought he was on our side now for some reason well and I was like, okay, it's a very good scene, to be fair. Like, it's one of the oh, great yeah. effect sequences. Like, Baragon had really stunning effects and a lot of really oh, cool yeah. miniatures and stuff. So it's kind of fun to see it again. But if I hadn't I, seen the first or seen Baragon, uh, oh, yeah. I think this is pretty cool. Yeah, As, totally. especially if I never knew that this was in another movie, I'd be like, yeah, right. this great model work because that dam is amazing. 
oh, it's very impressive and like just super well done. And a damn fine damn. And like at this point, I do feel like, okay. I mean, I understand you got to reuse some footage where I am. (laughs) Where where I I take umbrage is that they're like, all right, Gamera, now it's time to destroy Tokyo. And (laughs) astonishingly, they they reuse the Tokyo attack from the first movie in black and white, but just black and purple. Because <laughs> it's nighttime, uh, I guess. Although it's not. Yeah. Yeah, they 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 do it a little bit smarter later when he when they have him attacking that rail yard and uh, it's tinted red, but they're looking through the monitor. But here, I'm just like, why did you? I know why you did this, because there's not a lot of scenes of him destroying cities anymore. Well, because Gamera became a hero kind of right away. So, yeah. Yeah. It's like, if you want him to destroy cities, you have to either do this or shoot a new one. And, oh, man. I don't know. I don't have a frame of reference for how expensive those miniature setups are, but I bet. I mean, it's got to be a lot. They're so impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And I get it, but it is such a bummer that you don't get a single new one, that they're all reused. (laughs) Yeah, I guess the closest thing to a miniature would be that spaceship. Yeah, basically. Or and Uh, and like the area where he fights it at the end, but it's not a lot going on. Yeah, you've got just background wise. That one really cool building, but you don't even get to interact with it. No, it's it's a it's a green screen. Yeah. So Masao gets a call from his sister Mariko on his wrist radio, of course, mm-hmm. so th- so that he can, like, let the adults know that Gamera's brainwashed. He's not doing this on purpose. He's still our friend. <laughs> Gamera doesn't want to be bad. He doesn't want to be bad. It's completely textual. I mean, Toshio has been shown to be correct after it was toshio in that first one right? uh, yeah to- yeah toshio was does. the kid who could sneak into anything yeah and you know kind of like masao except masao is a super genius whereas that kid was maladjusted <laughs> yeah carrying the but, rocks around yeah but he was good at sneaking real he good was very at sneaking. good at it and he was ultimately proven right by time yes and then we 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 have the mission HQ on Earth with uh, all of the scientists and Masao and Jim's parents. Jim's parents <laughs> are ridiculous, are they not? Like his mom. Oh, his mom is a is the woman from the Far Side comics. She is completely a Far Side character. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> she's got that red beehive. She's got the glasses and the she, glasses. She's very over the top. <laughs> I mean, like, they they were clearly, uh, you know, they didn't have a lot of white people who could speak Japanese that they could put in this movie. <laughs> they yeah, lucked out I guess, with Jim. I guess not. Jim for, is, like, you know, he's really good for, for a kid a, actor. Yeah. For a kid actor who, from... Who's bilingual. Yeah, who, by, yeah like, it, he has English lines in this, too, but his Japanese is fine. As, yeah, I mean, yeah, as far Jap- as I can tell, it is. Uh, yeah, like, he lived in Japan because he was, like, an army kid. Oh, okay. So, like, you know, he, he grew oh, up so on an a, army he, base. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, that would make you bilingual. Yeah, and they, yeah, they no, mentioned... his performance is good. 
Yeah, he's he's totally fine. And like they they mention in I it's either the commentary or one of the documentaries on it that like uh he he was just found by chance because one of the producers lived next door to him or something. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Like yeah, this kid can do it, and yeah, he's good. Turns out he can do it. He, yeah. Like so, they found a good kid for the job. Uh, not so much the parents, but you know, <laughs> you, you take. You didn't what you can need get. the parents to be good. I honestly, it's. Kind I'm of glad better. the parents are. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm glad they look like this. It's yeah. It's it's that far side lady look that is very pleasing. But yeah, this is, and the dad is like Gomez Adams. Yeah, kind of. Not, and then, not, not as charismatic at all. No, no. You, you, I mean, Gomez is special. The, the Adams family is special. Oh, well, of course. So this is where the military is weighing their options between surrender all of <laughs> Earth or sacrifice these two children. Because they tough. figure out all they got <laughs> to do is attack the spaceship and that'll free Gamera, but it'll kill the two children. I mean, what a quandary. What do you do? What and do you the do? UN, the UN is holding an emergency meeting. They're already holding an emergency meeting. Now, who's on the UN Security Council at this time? Um, the US, know. I'm sure. Uh, well, because like, it isn't be... like the big seven. Because there was yeah. – no, Russia wouldn't. I don't know. Yes. No, the Soviet Union did were immediately – Oh, uh, they were on the – Permanent. Yeah. Well, like have you ever Even seen – in the Cold War? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Shit. Oh, I should have known. I should have known that. Yeah, <laughs> well, like, <laughs> that's you know, an important the, detail. The extremely famous thing of uh, Khrushchev, or is it? Yeah, uh, Khrushchev. Yeah, Khrushchev, uh, I guess. Pounding his shoe on the table—that's from the UN. Oh, f- wow! But like <laughs> the weird blind spots I have in history, when <laughs> I know so much other stuff that's also weird that. Oh man, <laughs> people are gonna. I have teachers who are very gonna be very disappointed in me if they ever hear this. So the the UN is holding this emergency meeting, and they're like, <laughs> they're, "Are we gonna sacrifice the kids?" Yeah, we're, are we gonna sacrifice these two children or surrender all of humanity? And like, meanwhile, they're like fudging around with the the wrist radio they're gonna increase the signal so they can keep in contact with them all the time uh this is where jim gets them out of their restraints with the lasso in a way <laughs> yeah i don't fully understand because to me it looks like they just crawled out i don't yeah. know what the lasso had to do with it it's supposedly leverage but i don't really figure how that worked but it worked i guess and they're like, we want to sacrifice ourselves. They, they're going to be the heroic kids. Like, they, they tell the sister to tell the generals, like, attack the ship. We, we want to die. We want to save the world. But the word comes in that, you know, the UN has decided to surrender <laughs> humanity instead. The UN has decided <laughs> to surrender humanity. Like, sheesh, these are some real important kids. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like meanwhile the, i'm just imagining okay i'm on i'm on a ship um and the the world is weighing my life and it's like i don't like most of the planet and i do want to live but even i would say that you should sacrifice me in this one particular scenario this is objectively yeah. the better call oh by far but 
you know, they're the main character <laughs> kids. So, yes, this but is where Mr. You don't have to sacrifice the main character kids anyway, because they'll take a third option. Well, yeah, the Mr. Shimada actually has that option ready already. He's like, hey, this is where he's reminding them. You remember when you reversed the controls of that, the sub earlier today? Maybe you could try that. <laughs> the doctor is like, this is no time to scold them for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm providing wisdom so that so that I can seem like an adult has done something in this movie. Well, and I mean, this does seem like a really good time to scold them when all of humanity is laying down their lives for these two random kids. It's like, hey, remember when you were jerks to us this morning, you dicks? (laughs) Actually, yeah, you're right. Well, we are going to sacrifice ourselves so that you can live. You're welcome. But they're like, you know, you could maybe use that on the device which is controlling Gamera. Because meanwhile, the aliens are like, hey, Gamera, we want you to annihilate humanity. They're, they're just like, ah, whatever, we're going to kill all of you. Surrender. <laughs> Forget that. You die. <laughs> like they never – This the U.S. decision is baffling here. It's just it – It is bizarre. And this is where they – Like the kids, I, I understand that you don't want to film a scene of them saying, let's sacrifice the children, but – I don't know. Maybe well, it's, it it's not even that, different. you know, because there, there's no way that they can just they, it's it's a necessary plot thing because they can't have them attack the ship because the kids have to do the thing. Right. I mean, well, they could okay. have maybe done something with the ship where it had a shield or something. You know, they, they could have written themselves out of this in a different way. <laughs> yeah, I'll give them props for creativity. <laughs> Imagining the U.N. Uh I just I love this plot point. I, I it just this it's is one absurd. of those ones that's gonna stick in my head is like this is so I, I'm I'm going to obsess about this and I need to I need to move on. Lay, lay down humanity for the two hero kids. And like yeah. the kids are are this is where they have the gambit of, hey, the squid monster escaped. <laughs> and yeah. it works as a distraction like they all run to another room and they're able to switch the alien crystals around to reverse the polarity on the controls yeah, actually so i was saying that like this could be the long con but no the long it can't be the long con because this is what allows them to defeat the the aliens it doesn't make any sense. I have no idea why they'd be like, oh, no, our boss got out of his cage. <laughs> you mean like got out of his. I don't know. What his is that pilot? Even supposed to be? Yeah, he, I, th- I feel like he's running the ship. He because he only gets out of it at the end when they uh, form together and do the whole reader repulsa. Grow, grow. And yeah, maybe. Maybe, I, maybe like this is how he pilots it. Yeah, it could yeah. be something like that. He he could be like, you know, the the navigator or whatever. Yeah, or maybe it's like a really, really low-key version of Darth Vader's super throne pod thing. Yeah, I don't really know. But ultimately, I mean, it works. They leave. <laughs> yeah, the fact that this works, that makes no sense. And so they they rig up the brainwave device and the super catch ray. They they make them both reversed somehow, and they fire the super catch ray, somehow making themselves return to the beach where 
it took them from, I guess. Yes, never mind the fact that this saucer has been flying all over Japan. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know where and it's supposed to be And maybe even the rest now. of the world, yeah. And the aliens immediately order Gamera to attack the kids, which means, of course, he attacks the ship because, you know, he's still being controlled, but the controls are reversed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would... <laughs> attack the kids would just be, don't attack the kids. Maybe. I don't know. Attack something. I don't know. Whatever whatever it is, he is uh, doing the same thing from the start. I think it might be the same same footage from the start. Oh, it is. It is. (laughs) Maybe with a different uh, color filter, but I'm not sure. Yeah, because he he plows his head into it and breathes fire inside one of the paws. But we get to see the... the, Yeah, but we get to see the humans, uh, like, or the alien humans get burnt up. Or, well, no, they they escape. Yeah, we just see them running from it because we have them later. But this is where we learn the squid was the boss all along. He was the one talking earlier. Shock and awe. It is shocking because it doesn't make sense. There's a lot of reasons that it doesn't make sense. Although it's also one of those things where the first time you see him, I mean, he has the exact same eyes as all of them. And also he's a big, ugly squid monster. Probably a bad guy. (laughs) Yeah. Squids but, are friends, though. Real ones. Oh, sure. Uh, so they detach the pod that they're all in to escape at first. But Gamera, like, pulls off one of the other pods and throws it at it and knocks <laughs> it out of the sky. Yeah, I love that bit. There, he, he, uh, there's a lot of throwing of the pods of the ship in the next bit. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty fun. And, you know, the brainwave device ultimately is smashed, so Gamera is free to uh, direct the rest of the fight himself. And here we kind of head into the cool final battle sequence. Uh, first, the squid beheads all of the aliens in one swipe, which is extremely rad. Yeah, they it, it doesn't even, or it didn't even look like it did a full swipe. It looked like it just kind of thought their heads off yeah exactly but like all of their heads just flop off in a row and that's so cool it's so cool like you don't often see eight people beheaded in a in a shot in a kids movie that's really unusual to see so you know it's cool where really well yeah yeah yeah. but i mean even more notably that it's a kids movie (laughs) yeah yeah and then we see uh the aliens, I think, I think it's supposed to be tentacles shooting up through the suits of the people. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of feel like the squid and the aliens controlling the humans are meant to be the same organism. Yeah, I, I like. But I no, feel that because they're giving their lives to them. No, it's just a worker bee thing. Well, it's sort of their life force. They all merge together here, but it's it's sort of interesting that each of them is like a squid inside this human meat suit. And they oh, just sort yeah, of right. they they kind of burst out of it, I guess, but we don't have the sort of effects level to have them like explode out of the body. So we just have you know, have some tentacles coming out the head hole after they are beheaded and then 
we, we have them sort of appear as sort of ghostly apparitions as they all merge together. <laughs> yeah, to form, to, to make the monster grow so that we can have our big fight at the end. You gotta have at least one kaiju fight. Like, there, there was no way they could make this without yeah. at least having one. <laughs> I would be so disappointed if this ended without a kaiju fight. It would be a bummer. And it kind of looked like it might go in that direction somehow, but but they pulled it out. They uh, they pull off a pretty good one. Like, there's a lot of stuff in this fight that I love. There's some good stuff here. Um, it's not always clear who's winning uh, because there's a lot of them throwing each other around. But uh, I guess but, that's one of the things I really like about Gamera is that Gamera gets beat up. Like, Gamera does, oh. takes some... Take some brutality uh, in most movies. There's one particular shot oh, here yeah. that should have killed him. There's but, a few, yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we just don't know about gamma biology. Maybe his heart is stored in. Well, who knows? I mean, there, not there's, his stomach. There, there's a pretty big hole in him. But like, first we have the quid, the squid throwing all of the pods at Gamera. So we, we, we get the rest of the ship destroyed by Gamera, just blowing them up with flames as they're thrown at him. Yeah. Uh, I really like this bit where it, the, the squid retreats to the sea because, you know, it's uh, Gamera is using the flamethrower and it like uses its head tentacles to grab a rock and wraps another one around Gamera, and it tries to drown him, I guess? I don't know what it figured was going to work yeah, there. Yeah, because Gamera doesn't drown. Um, maybe and, it just figures it can fight better underwater than he can, which... Maybe. Also, yeah, Probably maybe. not. But, like, th- this is where it pulls all of its head tentacles together into a point and starts throwing itself around like a dart. And the first time... Gamera ducks and he bites one of the tentacles and gives it like some like just slams it into the ground a while. It's pretty fun. Yep. Like a, like a dog with a chew toy. Mm-hmm. But and the... it, it's sort Sorry, of like a whole wrestling match, you know, pulling him off his feet with the tentacles, throwing people around. There, there's a lot of just throwing a lot of big. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and it's kind of neat because you can't really tell who's doing the throwing because, uh, Virus can kind of fly, uh, kind of, kind of. So you're. It looks like Gamera might be throwing them, but Virus actually might be throwing Gamera. It's it's neat. I I like I like that aspect of the fight. And I like it just flying like a dart at him. Uh, so yeah. first he throws a boulder at it, and it sticks through the boulder, and it's stuck upside down in the beach like a lawn dart, which is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. And it, it like retreats to the sea again and it, it manages to get the rock off and rise up to the surface, but Gamera's riding it like a jet ski. <laughs> yeah, so and I somehow thought that this was gonna be the end because like it it's doing the riding off into the sunset thing and all the children cheering after him. Like, it's hilarious yeah, too. It's it's really funny because it's like really a jet ski. Like very it's much. a jet ski. <laughs> he's, he's riding him like a jet ski, and the shot's going for long, just long enough that I'm half expecting the credits. Because it's doing that long hold on a shot. Because, you know, it's a big special effects shot, and you really got to make them count in a movie where you can't do many of them. 
but yes i i love that it just like the dart head hits a sandbar and gamma just goes flying ass over tea kettle <laughs> like yeah how amazing that is, is it that this movie has a bit where he's riding the enemy like a jet ski <laughs> and crashes <laughs> hoist by his own petard and you then, know, I'm, sorry, go I'm coming around on this on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I really love the fight. Like there's there's a lot of dead time in between, but the fight is pretty great. And this the fight is where is only the last ten minutes of the movie, though, is the thing. True, like, uh, but to be fair, it's a pretty short movie, especially when you take out the clips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you're looking at a movie around the same length as our second feature without the clip show. Mm-hmm. But like this is where we get the really huge attack. It it does the yeah. dark thing and it goes clean through Gamera. <laughs> yeah, there is a gigantic hole in Gamera's uh, stomach, and he's and Virus is just pounding him and pounding him in this hole, and. He's like stabbing like, in and out a bunch. There's just like turquoise yeah. blood gushing everywhere. And Gamera's like limbs are going in and retracting in and out of the shell. It's like it's like squeeze, uh, squeezing a squeak toy. Yeah, That's what I mean, it made he, me think of, like a turtle squeak toy. Totally. And it, it seems like he couldn't survive this because there's an entire no. alien through him. <laughs> I don't think we've seen him get hurt this bad before no i don't believe so and but like the kids are there so they're like camera use your rockets (laughs) like camera seems kind of dead kids (laughs) but you know they're (laughs) well they're super genius as i guess yeah and he takes off into the sky with the the squid still impaled upside down (laughs) through him (laughs) this is actually this is so badass (laughs) <laughs> and he just like flies up to the upper atmosphere where it freezes. <laughs> so he can, did you figure out what to do about the freezing in the upper atmosphere? Huh? Right. Iron Man. Yeah, I know. It's like the yeah. only thing I remember out of that movie. It's a good movie. Uh, yeah. Jeff Bridges, solid villain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Shame for what it did to the rest of the comic book movies. I don't really oh, agree well. with that. I you think it's a great okay. movie, and most of them are really good for a long time. And then, you know, they sort of went okay. on too long. That one's a great movie. You're right. I, you're right. I can't blame Iron Man for what happened afterwards. You're right. But, like, and, so here, Gamera is up in the atmosphere with a giant squid alien impaled through him, frozen. Yeah. <laughs> and he turns over and just spins until it just, like, Bloop, drops out of him into the ocean and that's the end like just instantly the end yep so um, theoretically it could unfreeze in the ocean and continue to fight but i don't think it comes back i do i feel like we do not see uh virus again well yeah like could it survive re-entry well i mean we see it fall although gamera does yeah. Oh yeah, Gamera can withstand the uh, freezing cold well, of Gamera, space too. Yeah, Gamera has survived re-entry into the atmosphere before. He's he, he'll be fine. But yeah, he goes Virus, in and out yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess. I don't. 
I don't know if because I, I never got the feeling that virus was for sure dead either. Yeah, it's weird, but it it's treated that way because we just see the kids cheering and waving. It's like Gamera, Gamera, woo! But like Gamera's got to heal, kids. Gamera is really fucked He's up. He's in here. trouble. Yeah, he. We're we're not really addressing that. No, because it's just over. But because this was yep. going to be the last Gamera movie when they were oh. making it. Well, they didn't have a budget for it. The other ones, well, like, it yeah. was diminishing returns. <laughs> I guess I, I guess if I were making this, I probably wouldn't be expecting to make another one either. Right. So they, it, it was kind of a thing where, you know, maybe Gamera does die. But this was a huge hit with kids. <laughs> well, this is the first one I think that's squarely aimed at the children completely aimed at children yeah for sure yeah whereas um gauss was like kind of more for everybody yeah and baragon was weirdly aimed at baragon was weird yeah baragon was baragon's interesting baragon is such a strange movie like like i i liked it at the time but in the context of what came after it's just it's interesting it's strange. Yeah, it's it's just a really weird detour. And it's the only one of these so far that's not by the same director. Oh, it happens to be my favorite. Yeah, probably. Uh, like, maybe the first one. But yeah, the, I mean, Baragon's so much more fun. Baragon's my favorite creature design, too. Oh, yeah. And, like, my favorite creature reveal. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm really looking like the, forward to Gyron in the next one, though. Gyron is ooh. an amazing. Uh, Gyron is the knife-headed alien with the throwing oh. stars. Yeah, somehow I thought I got my wires crossed and thought that was going to be this one. Mm. Like that one, he has a power demonstration of just dismembering a gyaus. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> with his knife okay. head. Oh, so. Gyaus. Yeah, I mean, you know, there there are lots of Gausses. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I guess there's technically lots of Baragons, too, even though we only see the one. I mean, maybe in theory. we, we it, Yeah, it's, it's strange that we never see another one. This is really the only other time we see one, and it depends which version you saw. Because this yeah. one has two whole Baragon fights in the director's version. Oh, wow. <laughs> hmm. uh, so this was also released on tv in america it, it didn't go oh. to theaters it was aip tv uh, as destroy all planets <laughs> all right that's not what happens nope uh <laughs> it's destroy all monsters was the big godzilla movie at the time it's like okay, okay. destroy all planets okay. simple uh it, the notably the tv cut for aip adds yet more clips from earlier movies <laughs> oh boy so I watched the right one, it sounds like. Yeah, probably. Well, we were talking in the chat earlier, and I'm like, does it truly make no difference? And you said, it's just more clips. Just more clips. There's three different versions, but the only difference between any of them is the amount of clips from other movies and the choice of clips. <laughs> Interesting. So that is the end of that one, uh, obviously replaced by Gamera versus Gyron. As I said, that's the one with Knifehead Alien. It's also got uh, these two alien ladies from space who kidnap the two kids. You've got another, you know, a, a quasi Masao and Jim. It's uh, okay. uh, an Asian boy and a white boy. 
kidnapped by aliens, and this time they're cannibal aliens. Oh no! Well, I eat the kids' brains. But if for them, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put my logic into it. I'm not gonna ask. I won't do it. But yeah, this this one, uh, it's not good. Uh, it's <laughs> also featuring a lot of clips, but I do love the alien storyline. I like the alien planet that we get to go to this time, because that's Ooh. where you meet Gyron, because he's a Ooh. space alien. Cool, uh, cool. And yeah, uh, I like Gyron a lot. He's really funny. He's he's oh. kind of Baragon-esque. He's, you know, an all fours doggy monster, but just like a giant knife head. Neat. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to it, but I'm also kind of curious. I, I I don't want the series to take another dip in quality because uh, <laughs> the, the first ones were so strong. I this know. This one's good too. This one is definitely an obvious step down. Like there, there's yeah. no question about it. It's it's clearly way cheaper. It's so padded. Mm-hmm. But like when it's doing new stuff, I like the new stuff for the most part. The new part. stuff is good. Other than the soundtrack, the. But we get our Gamera March. You get the Gamera March, which is kind of fun. And that final fight is just so much fun. Like, there's so much good stuff in that. The jet ski bit is hilarious. The impaling is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the, the squid beheading the aliens. Yeah. Cool. yeah. <laughs> like, there's a lot of fun stuff, but yeah, oh, yeah. it's. There are problems along the way. <laughs> the kids are uh, not as charming as yeah, uh, they're not. Ones, maybe. Although I, I do like Jim. Uh, Masao's not. He's not annoying. Right. Neither of them are irritating, which is something. And like, I would say that Toshio is kind of irritating. So they have that. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Uh, any final thoughts before we move on to movie two? Uh, no, I'm all good on Gamera, and I, uh, yeah, I got, I actually have to go and take care of something real quick. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okie doke. Bye-bye. And we're back with our second, uh, feature, uh, not really a feature film, uh, less than an hour long, sort of in between a film and a, sh- a feature and a short uh, Don Hertzfeld's It's Such a Beautiful Day, uh, something I would certainly describe as a masterpiece, uh, one that I've watched a few times and is uh, extremely affecting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and difficult. There, there's It's, it's a very complex film. It's uh, about mental illness, and it, it sort of lives within its character's mind. Uh, so it... it experiences reality through the main character uh, whose reality is disjointed and doesn't really fit together. Mm-hmm. So it's it's told out of order. Uh, we're not really told what's dream and what's reality or what's true and what's not. We're just seeing we're just seeing what he sees and we just have to figure out on our own how to interpret it, just like our main character does. Yeah, well, I, I think it's very true to the experience of mental illness and like, uh, you know, uh, having some sort of forms of being like, you know, I, I'm a very anxious person. I, I have issues and like there there's a lot of things that are familiar about it. And there's a lot of 
points of resonance that are are very recognizable. Uh, and it, it's very interesting in that respect because it's sort of like you you see it exaggerated and you see points where like you can recognize things that are absurd, but there's also things that are just like, wow, that's just way too real. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so Don Hertzfeldt, uh, I only really, prior to this, I only knew him for the rejected cartoon, which right. famous. Uh, what? Fa- well, famous, huge at the time. I don't know if it still is. If like, if the young people have seen it or if they care about it, but I would say so. Huge uh, this age. one is pretty popular as well. Oh, okay. Um, very similar looking animation style, very different tone. Similar, although much more simple, because this one has a lot more uh, a, a lot more to it. Like in in terms of its collage, there's uh, a lot of added color. There's a lot of uh, photographic imagery kind of mixed in there, and and just sort of more yeah. uh, complex imagery. Mm-hmm. Where that one is very strictly comedic uh, and and sort of surrealist in its comedy, this one is it, like there there is comedy to this. There there's a lot of humor, but it's more emotional. Like it's it's one that seeks to kind of get a little bit more behind the truth of the humor. Okay, um, I, I didn't really find it funny. Like I. And that's not a criticism. I didn't find I didn't find that it was trying to be really. So there's definitely jokes. It's just you know yeah. it's it's dark. Like the, the yeah. humor is very dark. It's it's grim. Like you you have uh, when when you get his family history because mental illness does tend to be a thing that runs in the family. You get the stuff with like the wild man relative who right. could only say bobble. <laughs> <laughs> Or or the the grandmother who uh, rubbed dead cats' heads on her own head. Uh, yeah, yeah. And she she has just like the that the she had the one in the drawer that was fresh, and that's like that's the, her important one. Yeah, and like it's sort of a thing where like clearly he had a grandmother who was mentally ill and had some sort of problem, but how much of this is his? Uh, twisting of the events based on his memories and the disjointedness of uh, how he's experienced his life. Because obviously his mother as well has uh, all of these anxiety problems, which, you know, it's it's this avalanche of anxiety and uh, mental illness that sort of like is passed from one to the next. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't, get at first that it was possibly exaggerating the deal with the grandmother somehow somehow i didn't uh, realize well, I that mean, right away part of it's that everything in this is exaggerated like it, it is an absurdist film even though it's talking about real things and it's kind of getting to a core truth when it's discussing them it's kind of approaching them in a different way like it, it is approaching them from an absurdly heightened way it's just there are times when it, you know, uh, drills down to that really macro level of like, this is way too relatable. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like when he gets stuck in a loop, that sort of thing. Where yeah. it's like, that's just so 
simple and down to earth and relatable and like you you see the deterioration you understand the way his mind is deteriorating without him personally recognizing it yeah um yeah so so how do we want to do this do we want to just you're the one with the notes yeah i guess so what what is such a beautiful day it's a story uh of a guy of a guy named bill and it starts out innocently enough he's just going through a regular day um about how he's passing like it's he goes to the supermarket um he passes somebody who he might know and might not know and there's this whole thing about like do i say hi to him do i not say hi to him and and it's a, um, that's a good entry i i feel because like that is uh a really common anxiety symptom that's yeah, something that, that everyone can relate there. to like that, that's the sort of baseline one that like everybody has even if you're not a really anxious person it's like oh man i know this person sort of what sort of thing and it's just this weird very vaguely awkward thing that probably the other person doesn't even think of but yeah it's built up big in his mind we we have like uh and it's it's almost an epic encounter in in the way he experiences it yeah like um like like we he describes it so uh so detailed like we're all we're taking this they're taking a step towards each other each one wondering if the other one is going to say anything and, and yes yeah, it, it's that it's just this it's just a silly little thing that we that some of us just blow up in our heads i do it yeah i mean I think a lot of people do and i think most people do at different times like depending yeah. on the context and depending on where you are emotionally uh and i, I can't remember he he blurts out some he portmanteau says, of two words right yeah he he wants to say how's it going and what's up, but he kind of blurs them together. How's so he up? says, "How's up?" Right. And yeah, the other yeah. guy says, "Thanks." Thanks. And the uh, first guy says, "What?" What? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this feels like this feels like a scene from Rejected. Right, and then it sort of like goes from there he goes to the supermarket correct and yeah he goes he's to sort the of... supermarket um he's upset that the he, he picks the he always picks the fruit from the back of the fruit thing because everybody's because <laughs> all the fruit at the front is right at crotch level for everybody and they just rub they're just leaning over and rubbing their crotches on the fruit and you don't want crotch fruit right and this is you know what another thing where it's like i can't really relate to this because uh it's absurd but i get it like i kind of get where he's coming from i see the source of the anxiety and how the the steps apply to it but i i really like the way it's sort of a gradual uh pull out you know to to sort of see the extent of like where his fixations are and sort of how they affect the way he lives his life. Like they are directly affecting him. He can only have those fruit. Yeah. Like, like at this point, I'm still thinking it, it's still framed as he prefers to pick that one because, but no, this is like something that this as is we're going to see. This is an <laughs> issue for him. Yeah. Like he has dreams uh, later on of people with 
giant nuts rubbing them on the front of people who uh, are i believe all nuts like they're they're just a big nut sack rubbing themselves on the groceries (laughs) yeah that's what that's what it was something like that We, we see him like we see him go back home and he's doing all his daily chores vacuuming washing dishes and he's like wondering like um how much of his life he's wasted doing all these routine stuff and then he comes to a question that I've kind of thought he's like, what if this is life and all that other stuff is the oddity? Well, yeah, I mean, those are the things that you do over and over again. So maybe those are life, whereas, you know, anything you do outside of it is extracurricular. And uh, yeah, kind of. But that's sort of, again, this is depression thought, you know, where where you, you... where you work yourself into a hole of like maybe life is just this horrible crushing repetition of doing the same thing over and over uh and (laughs) i've been there too and and i get that a lot so like at this point you know it's simple we 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 get that really cool uh multi-frame montage where you got all of the different little squares of him repeating all of his various daily repetitions like the keys on the table and uh all of those like i can't remember all the all the different stuff but like all simultaneously vacuuming is one of them right um yeah so uh i i think here's a good place to point out like the way it's present the way the film's presented a lot of the time is almost like in like comic panel format Mm -hmm. like you you have windows um there's a lot of negative space like you only see little windows in like a corner of the screen of what he's doing um, at least in the first part at least in the yeah. first part it kind of it becomes more abstract on. just like yeah. rejected where it, you know the the film starts to deteriorate and you know everything sort of blurs together this one sort of builds on its uh momentum to become like much more abstract as things go on but like at this point you do get like a lot of compartments and you'll have a lot of simultaneous things going together and building up and again this is like anxiety where you have all of these things just sort of they're tiny little squares but when you put like 50 of them together it stops Uh, being something that you can handle yeah exactly um so we find out uh we we find out that the clinic has mixed something up but we don't not really sure what because the, at this point and various other points the narration kind of drones out and is being drowned out by uh, sound effects and or at like, these points Bill's he, not really hearing what he's supposed to be hearing right and and it'll just like it'll turn into this loud drone of of sort of like you hear that there are words there but they're unidentifiable because they're so distorted yes. uh, and it increasingly happens as he gets more detached from reality. Uh, and I think at this point it's an issue with his medication. Like they're switching the medication. Yeah. Yeah. It starts like he, they switch the medication on him and, um, the room turns different. Uh, now this is just a neat effect. It's like the room superimposes upon itself, but turn 90 degrees. Mm hmm. Um, and when Bill woke up, something was different about the room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I really like how deadpan a lot of it is. And, and that, that's sort of where the humor is. It doesn't necessarily play as a joke, but there is sort of that humor of like, 
something was different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the narrator, uh, the, for the most part, the narrator is the only one who speaks in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do very, very, very rarely get other voices, but that's just more like a rare thing used once or twice for effect. Mm-hmm. Well, Bible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm thinking more like voices of like different relatives and stuff. Oh, certainly, yeah. You, you got the like, uncle and the mom. Yeah, but yeah, the narrator is mostly just explaining things the way Bill would understand it. Like chapter two is a lot of him as a kid. So I'm, I'm trying to think of something that they that he says well like the the main thing with him as a kid is his lunches from his mother and they've got the notes in them that say i'm so proud of you yeah and like just occasionally they'll have those and i this is obviously a very disjointed movie and kind of jumps all over the place but ultimately we get this revelation much later uh after his mother dies which is sort of part of one of his big anxiety stressors later on mm-hmm. that he's going through her things and he finds this book of her practicing. Uh, I'm so proud of you over and over and over again, because that's her own anxiety manifesting. Uh, and yeah. obviously the lunches that he gets were bizarre. Like he would get not usable lunches, not edible lunches. They'd just be some random thing. For Christmas, he got a postage stamp and a piece of yarn. Yeah. And then his father left after looking after looking at the ceiling and saying, I cannot deal with this woman. And that mm-hmm. was the last he saw of him. Yeah. Yeah, so it was that kind of thing. I can't remember if he had a British accent or not. He didn't, did he? He did not, no. Yeah, uh, okay. And, like, I, I, I feel like, to some extent, the narrator is kind of Bill's internal monologue. And I think especially thinking of that scene with uh, the loop where oh, yes. at the beginning of each loop, it's like, wow, it's kind of a beautiful day. Yeah, yeah. Um, it becomes more apparent later on, but I do feel that it is that the narrator is his internal monologue. But like a detached internal monologue, like uh, a version of him that's sort of experiencing life uh, separately from himself. Uh-huh. Yeah, so he has – well, what happens – there's a point where he's visiting with his mother, and his mother finds a loose thread on his jacket. So he go, mm. So she goes to cut it off, and he goes and slaps her, and she has a breakdown like, how could you think I ever wanted to hurt you? Well, because she seems to be sneaking up on him with scissors. It does look like a sneak-up thing. It's, yeah, it's, and yeah. because she's very timid and she – also is deeply anxious so the way she approaches him is not a reasonable way (laughs) yeah so like it it's that sort of mutual anxiety that that sort of issue of being like two people who are deeply anxious and not really good at relating uh but sort of being in this space and uh yeah like that that moment is one of the first it's like oof yeah, yeah, uh, that was that was a that was a big oof moment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get him in the hospital, uh, and then 
we get a, him on the bus to work and it's just the rain like it's That's a rainy beautiful. bus ride and it's like a five minute scene of just him sitting in this bus uh rain falling onto the animation cell it looks like it's a really beautiful effect yeah very um, expressive mm-hmm And I I think that's also where he, when he's walking to work, he sees the dead bird, which sort of recurs a few times. Yeah, the first time he actually sees three dead horses, um, the earlier scene. But he's like, like, it smells funny outside. Oh, it's three dead horses. Well, that explains that. Yeah, three horses. They were hit by a truck or something in the street, I think. Yeah, um, I'm not quite sure or a train or something like again it's maybe a thing that didn't happen but it's it's the it's it's when his medicine medication is starting to go wrong that he like he's going to work and he becomes distracted because like he sees all the people around him but like those all sort of disappear into background noise and he becomes just fixated on the bird being taken apart by ants and then much um, later on we see him go through the same space and it's like there's only a brown spot now where the bird was oh that's like that reminds me of one of the uh Tsukamoto films yeah exactly uh, oh, which uh, one was that it was tokyo fist yeah where there's the cat mm-hmm. and then the cat's in, in the just alley. gone and there's just a stain yeah exactly <laughs> it's, it's totally the same feeling of just like that sort of uh, visceral ugliness of uh, detachment in the city. But like this yeah. one, we're approaching it from a different mental point of view, although both of them are about people who have problems. <laughs> who, oh, yeah. <laughs> who are uh, burnt up in certain ways inside. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's around here that, we, that I find out that it's uh, divided into chapters. Uh, so we're now on chapter two, which... I didn't write down the name of because that would be smart. And it looks like it's going to be a chapter about Bill's childhood, but it turns out it's about a lot of things. <laughs> so, well, as all of these are. Yeah. So uh, we find out that he has a half-brother named Randall who has hook arms. Had. Um, had hook arms, but he – and deformed feet, and he ran off into the sea to chase after birds. Oh, what even was I it think. a bird? I, I believe there was a bird that flew overhead, and he just ran directly into the sea and drowned uh, while everyone was watching. Right. Yes. So the mother, of course, understandably has a breakdown here, and here's where the father leaves and says, "I cannot deal with this woman." Yeah, and, and she just she... freezes. <laughs> Like, and she sort of starts overprotecting him, and he like there the, the, we get the montage of him. Uh, I guess at the start it's winter, so he's in uh-huh. all of the heavy winter clothes and gear yeah. and armor. Yeah. But then he wasn't allowed yeah. to take it off when winter ended. Yeah, so he's still wearing all that heavy winter stuff in summer, and he has a helmet. Mm-hmm. And like this is the sort of thing that. This does happen where, you know, a parent kind of deteriorates and the kid just kind of has to follow that lead. And that's very damaging. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually 
finding some of this this part kind of harder to talk about than I thought it might be. It's definitely uh, like the toughest section, I'd say, because like it, it's the one that like it, it really falls into. Everybody knows someone who had some issues like this or everybody has experienced some sort of issues like this. And and it's very real. It's very raw. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like. I it, when I stopped watching when I, when the movie was over I pretty much I if it weren't so late in the afternoon by the time the movie was over I would have just called my mom right away. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to I'm going to tomorrow. Right. Yeah, it's it's uh it's it's like I said when I watched it last week it's like I was having a really bad anxiety week. Uh and it's it's just been rough lately so is like I needed something that really embodied the feeling, but that I could just like totally escape into. And, and like it's not escapist entertainment, but it's encompassing entertainment. Like it it totally occupies your mind because there's a lot of input all the time, but and it's so emotionally overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. Like like part of the reason my notes are so incomprehensible is. Sometimes I was just watching and forgot to write. Like I was just watching. Yeah. I didn't write anything down. I was yeah. just like, oh. So, like I said, uh, it, it's a masterpiece. It's it's impossible yeah. to look away from. Yeah, I mean, once you get into its vibe, it's it's sixty minutes or or not even. But I think it it's feels, fifty. <laughs> it feels like it flows by, but it also kind of feels like it's everything. If that makes yeah. any sense. It's it's so all encompassing. <laughs> Like when you're in it, it feels like you are, were always and will always be in it. Like it's the yeah. only thing. It's, yeah, it's all encompassing. That's the word. It's like this tornado of emotion and imagery. Like it, you, you feel it and you watch it, and like there, there's so much going on visually, but there's also so much meaning behind all of it, and there's so much to analyze in like every little moment. Like it's one that I've watched a handful of times already, and like just every time I watch it, there's so many new things to pick out. Mm-hmm. And, and it gives you, it's paced really well too. Like it gives you time to stop and digest what you've just seen like like the the train ride or the bus ride scene um, yeah there's another one a little bit later where he's waiting at the bus stop and there's a guy with a leaf blower right just trying to collect these little curls on the ground and like yeah, it took these me a long, while to figure out they were leaves <laughs> right just th- these long contemplative scenes that are just like him hyper fixated on one thing or him just sort of experiencing a moment and those are like, in a weird way, experiencing the beauty of life in weird mundane circumstances, like the bus ride or uh, yeah. watching someone with a leaf blower. Yeah, yeah. Or or there's one later, he's looking at a plastic bag on a flagpole, or maybe that was earlier, I don't know. It appears a few times, I believe. Um, we learn about his grandma... Who had the cat heads? We touched yeah. on that. Uh, and she had to rub them on her head to make her brain continue working. So this is her she, obsession. Yeah, we we find out she had a tumor. Right. Um, I, it was undetected, and I, I think it kills her, and that's how they find out. Yeah. So uh, we also find out the grandma's 
father was cut in half by a train and that her brother was a um, became a religious nut who grew out his mole hairs as a display of power or something. And then yeah. we have the wild man. Right. The wild man who just sort of disappears into the wilderness uh, and he comes back and doesn't he like crap a bunch of blueberries on their porch? Yep. He craps a bunch of blueberries. Um, Eventually he dies by like falling asleep in the middle of the snow and the elements and gets hit by a train. Yeah. There there are a handful of people who get cut in half by trains in his family history. (laughs) Yeah. And the wild man can only say one word, bobble. Bobble. And and I really like that it's rendered on the screen B A H space B U L L. Yes. It's good. Um we see a scene of I don't know what this is connected to. I, I don't probably know what do. Yeah. I have seen this a few times. <laughs> a scene of them as kids playing soccer with a seal. Uh, right. Seal um hits one kid too hard and they didn't no, it, know what they, it the, hits the ball yeah it, it like they're they're playing with this seal that comes out of the ocean and they pass it the football and it spikes it and it hits this other kid the next field over right in the heart and he dies yeah and they're just not sure what to do and they're just kind of well it's this great it's it's this great moment of childhood shock of experiencing a thing and just the the freezing of time where it's just like this moment stretches out into infinity and it feels like it's never going to end because it's just such a traumatic thing and it's the sort of moment that kind of never does end like that that's sort of the thing about trauma is that it sort of is a never ending moment that you're kind of always stuck in in a weird sort of way so yeah you, yep. you, <laughs> <laughs> yep. right yep. so like they're having that moment and the seal just kind of slowly embarrassed creeps back to the sea <laughs> yeah so it makes me wonder and of course no explanation is or will ever be given um did what really kind of was happened? there a seal or did there, maybe bill spike the ball and hit the or, kid and it's this overpowering guilt that stuck with him forever i mean there there are all those sorts of possibilities there or was the whole thing a dream that never happened maybe uh, yeah yeah maybe because but it does feel like it's and it's some sort of it, it, uh, it's not presented as a fiction thing right i mean it like feels it feels like a it feels like it could be a form of reality. It like it yeah. should be some element, like especially just in that it does feel like it's a trauma, even if we're not seeing the reality of how it played out. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the few pieces of actual dialogue that happens is uh, one of his work buddies is talking to him, and I, I didn't write down how it came up in the conversation, but his coworker is like, like this sticks with bill is like genetics is pretty messed up Mm -hmm. it is Um, yeah (laughs) and and that's kind of the whole background of that second sequence is just we're we're looking at his family tree and there's so much mental illness all the way back and just weird acts of violence and violent ends for everybody yeah 
Like so many yeah. people cut in half by trains. Well, I think the next thing I have written down is mom dies hit by train. Right. Mom is also hit by a train. I forgot about that. And and yeah, that's when she, her, her mental health was deteriorating and then she just got hit by a train. Right. And and this is and, and again, maybe that's not really the truth of what it's happens. Definitely but, not the truth of what happens. Uh, but the the idea of um, it's it's this is where he he looks through her stuff and finds that book uh, of all the uh, I'm so proud of you, which is like just a devastating payoff to the part from earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like just an incredible reveal, because like in in the earlier part, it's sort of like a grace note but then like it comes back it's like oh yeah this is just a different manifestation of uh like a- an obsessive disorder of some sort yeah yeah um and like she finds medical records uh to find out that it, the doctors had recommended that she never have a child right yeah so because of her own mental disorders which go back to her grandmother's mental her her mother's mental disorders and the whole family's uh Mm. fucked up genetics yeah yeah um so somewhere around here his head begins floating off on a string well we missed one of the things is that there's all the stuff with his uncle coming to visit when he's in when he's oh, sick in the hospital yeah. when he's sick in the hospital his uncle like, had there's, taken there's all this, this time off and looked vaguely annoyed and that's, vaguely that's all we annoyed. get well he they they cut back to him in the hospital a few times because he's in the hospital for a really long time from whatever is happening to him and they think he's going to die and then finally he just didn't end up dying <laughs> Yeah, it's, I think like the uncle went home once the doctor confirmed that he wasn't going to die or right. something like that. Yeah. And oh, it, yeah, it's yeah sort that's of... right, because that's that's when the mom gets rid of all the flowers in the thing, too, because. Right. Because when he wakes up in the hospital, there's tons of flowers in the room. When they find out he's not going to die, his mother had all of the flowers removed. Yeah. Um, Which feels cold, but I get it in terms of just someone with a compulsive disorder being like, well, those aren't needed anymore and they need to be removed immediately. Yeah. It um, doesn't really matter that they're a comfort. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, but, oh, man, yeah. <laughs> this movie's tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot, like I said last week. But, like, and, yeah. and then. It's it's at this end part, but when he the the head floating away thing is preceded by like I I think that's where they're like uh but he didn't die right he's not he's not dead he's he's not gonna die right um or is that after this because isn't that sort of the, late okay because that's later. sort of the concluding part where we get the future of Bill oh yeah sure oh, no that's, that's much that. later. Yeah, um, that is the conclusion. So the the, yeah, the head here floats we actually in space. see yeah. Uh, oh right, and actually space. that's a callback to the stuff with the girlfriend, which we also didn't really talk about the girlfriend oh, yeah, and visiting him in hospital. Yeah, um, the girlfriend visits him in the hospital with her boyfriend, who she doesn't know why she invited, and he doesn't know why he's there, but it 
but he, she later tells Bill that it really shook the boyfriend. Yeah, I that's a really powerful sequence in this as well, where yeah. she's talking about that, like, after leaving talking to Bill, that, like, he just wept quietly the whole way home. And like, so, but prior to that, we had some scenes of him out in the park with the girlfriend. And I think that's where things started to deteriorate. Cause like there, there's all the, the parts where he's like trying to walk up to her and she kept, she, she would like have the tight smile that said that everything was okay. <laughs> and that she'd oh, like yeah. step um, away from him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause like they're, they're hanging out in the park, but they are they've stopped dating at this point and yeah, he notices that she's always keeps a few steps away from him. Yeah. With, with just like a, a very tight smile that suggested that everything is fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So like she sort of recurs through it, but like one of the things he says when they're in the park is about, is because he's talking about dying and the ways in which, uh, the the body is dealt with after death and he doesn't like the idea of decomposing the ground he doesn't like the idea of being cremated so what he kind of wants is his head to be in space in she, with in front yeah. of a small window <laughs> yep but wants to be launched into space cuz launching the whole body would be too expensive much too expensive uh, logistics is, would be difficult yeah but the head would be fine. And she doesn't like the idea of his head floating around, orbiting the earth, uh, looking down at her, which makes also fair. sense. <laughs> yeah. um, that's, but yeah, that could like, be interpreted as like some Elon Musk shit. Oh, kind of. And I, I, I feel like that's sort of important as context to the sequence where his head floats off into space oh, uh, in, in this point. Shit. Totally. Yes. God damn. Time to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's important. And I didn't catch it at all. Um, because after he's floating in space, we see him like old and on his deathbed. Right, um, with like a huge family, right? Yeah, but he doesn't know who any of them are. Yeah. Um and they have nothing to say to each other because he doesn't yeah. remember any of it because it's a vision of a future that doesn't exist. Or, yeah, yeah, it's, um, so, yeah, yeah, there's, there's a bit where we see the deathbed and he doesn't recognize any of the people there and he tries to say something and he can't, mm -hmm. like, it, it comes out as, like, gibberish, I think. Yeah. Um, oh, here we get, uh, Baby Bill thinking of all the wonderful things that he will do with his life. That's painful, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's it's a weirdly yes. painful moment because of where it's placed in the movie. <laughs> yeah, we're at this point where we don't know everything that's happening to this man yet, but we know that he's not going to do any of these things. Yeah, and that like he's he's got the all of this boundless uh optimism for the way the world could work uh, without experiencing the world as it does work. Um, there's also a bit where like, he's just watching the specks of dust dance in a sunbeam, which I used to love doing, but I've never talked about or heard anyone else talk about doing this. And I actually thought I was the only one. It's like, 
I think it's just a, a, a total kid thing that sort of everybody does. But it sort of just becomes a thing that you don't do anymore because, again, it's it's like it, it's it's weirdly um, it, it's just a thing that like loses uh, allure as you get older. It, it just becomes just another element of the world, just dust in in the air. I I don't I guess I. I I don't agree. I didn't stop doing it. If I see it, I'll be like, oh, that's neat. Although that so, says I won't stop and stare at it. And, right. But I will notice it and be like, oh, that's cool. And I guess that might be kind of what the movie's trying to give us as a message um uh, yeah i don't know because it it, i don't really feel like it's necessarily a big message movie but i do feel like there are moments like that where it's just sort of a grace note of him taking a breather and experiencing something quietly that is not unpleasant you know because so much of what he's experiencing is unpleasant because that's sort of where he hyper fixates yeah like the birth being taken apart and all uh that so now we're getting around to chapter three, somewhere around now. Which is uh, when he's let out of the hospital. Uh, yeah, we're finding out he can't see faces. Um, he can't remember his ex's name, which is why we never learn it. Right. He can uh, recognize her only because of her long hair. Yep. Yeah, and, uh, and he's taking all these tests. They're like putting pictures of people and saying, can you tell me who this is? Uh, and just okay. pictures of things, and he can identify some of them, and then some of them were just a mystery. And yes, we get and the mystery ones. Of... Yeah, those yeah. images are really great. Yeah, because they don't look like anything. They remind me of um, the Far Side again. <laughs> Cow tools. Cow tools. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, kind of. It's just like that. Um. So someone, gosh, if I, a doctor presumably, is explaining that when you lose memories, you're trying to create, like you're trying to fill in the blanks. So you might see or think about something and then your brain is like, oh, hey, that must be real because I lost all these memories, but that's there. And like notably, we see the kid with two hook arms appear. Um that's one of the images. I think a few other things like the, the grandma with the cats. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is sort of uh, underlining the quasi reality of everything that we're seeing that like a lot of it is built out of, you know, memories that may not be real or that may be taken from other places, taken from alternate sources. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but it, but he can't differentiate between what really happened, what he imagined, what he saw, what was a dream. Like it's all right. It's all reality to him. Yeah. Um, which would be uh, really difficult Exhausting. to deal with. Uh, he gets to go home for a few days uh, under care and supervisions, allegedly. And this is where he gets into the loops. Yes. Uh, so he decide, he goes outside. He's like, you know what? It's 
actually a really beautiful day. Uh, so he goes for a walk and he sees uh, he sees a tennis shoe filled with leaves. And for some reason, it really bothers him. Fills so, him with dread. Fill, that's what it is. Filled him with dread. Uh, he what else does he do? He goes around. He goes block. all the way around his block. Yeah, he, he goes along the river by the bridge. He comes back. He's standing outside. He's about to go inside. And you know what? It's actually a really beautiful day. So he decides he's going to go for a walk. And as he's walking, he sees a shoe filled with tennis sleeves. And for some reason, it fills him with dread. So we do this about like four times or five I, times. I think we do it three times. And then like it, it cuts with, wow, it's really, it's kind of a really beautiful day. And and we, we get the sense that like he's just doing this over and over again and the other element of it is that there's these groceries that just keep appearing and that like he's got all of these bags of groceries and finally he goes into the house and is like what is he supposed to do with all of these groceries whereas like the first time that he comes in it's like oh some nice person has left groceries for him yeah yeah like he's but like he probably bought them the first time and forgot and then kept buying them over uh, and over oh, again geez. and forgetting so he's yeah. having just these constant cycles that he's stuck in and he's not recognizing like there he doesn't recognize them as cycles because he doesn't even realize he's done it before yeah yeah so and he's not uh, contacting the doctors because he doesn't really understand that anything is going wrong where these are those like these are the memories falling apart and being replaced and you know he, he just doesn't really have a through line for what's going on in his life yeah and this supervision at home that he was supposed to be under not seeing is that not happening no nothing uh, i assume it's supposed to be the slightly annoyed uncle very possible but who knows we maybe he maybe he maybe gave he his well, maybe he gave his mother as a contact because he forgot. Oh. Because oh. she was there in the hospital to see him a bunch. Yeah. I mean, like, it could be anything. It could like, be that, yeah. Because, again, it's it's a memory that doesn't exist for him, so it doesn't exist in the movie for us. Yeah, exactly. Um, eventually, he gets the t- – or next thing, I don't know. I, Again, no idea how much time passes at any point. That's – that's the nature of he he continues to deteriorate uh he the he finds out from the doctors he doesn't have very long to live Mm -hmm. um and i think that's when we have the moment with the leaf blower right i I think uh, the like after that is the long moment of him just sitting on a on a at the bus stop watching the guy blowing the leaves i i've got the leaf blower written down earlier than that yeah, because I got Leaf Roller written down in Chapter 2. Hmm. Here is where it just, for a bit, like, the animation stops being, like, stick figure animation and turns to photorealism, at least for the backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is very striking. Because, like, yeah. he starts to have a weird reaction to the medication, or he stops taking it or something. Oh, yeah, I can't remember, but um, he's able to it feels like he's experiencing the world for the first time, which I guess 
<laughs> and I didn't realize that he was using the simple animation to set up the conveyance of experiencing what the world was really like for the first time. This, I don't know how to put it into words, but it was really powerful when suddenly I start seeing photos in color. Yeah, and like it's it's kind of louder too, and it's it's like a bigger. It, like it, it's such a vast change that like you you do feel like you're opening up into reality and there's just more sound it's it's this again it's that all-encompassing experience yeah it, well it, it's another one of those those moments like like the bus ride earlier mm-hmm. but it's bigger yeah it's it's um, like you know it's widescreen yeah but it doesn't it doesn't last forever mm-hmm he goes to like this cliff uh, with a beautiful view of the emotion of the ocean and just imagines all the cars that must have driven off of this cliff and their mm-hmm. headlights blinking under the sea. Um, stars Super cool. Blinking in and out of the sky and how like each star that he sees is actually light that's millions of years old uh it's described as an amazing infinite time machine right above his head it's cool yeah uh he his uncle gives him the address of his birth father whom he had never met whom he had met once as a kid right uh and goes to a retirement home by the time he gets there he doesn't know why he's there and the dad doesn't know him either, and they just sit there and they don't know why either of them are there or who yeah. each other is. Yeah, and they're just watching TV, and then when it's time to leave, Bill just – hes he doesn't know why he says it, but he says to him, you're forgiven, and they never right. see each other again. Yeah, that's that's another – like one of those weird kind of chilling moments in a strange sort of way, like – it's like, huh? Yeah. That there, there, there's a, a lot of weird, like it's, it's oddly detached, but it's sort of a, a, another like strange moment of extreme emotion with the emotion drained out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um. So now uh, he's gotten a rental car at some point, and uh, he'll just. Be conscious of the fact that he's driving, and while he's driving, he decides he's going to keep driving. Mm-hmm. And that's just a terrifying thought, actually, because if I lose my mental faculties and I have a car, who knows how far away I'm going to end up being from home, especially if I just keep going. And I'm not going to lie. It's something I've thought about. Uh, and... It, it, it's actually kind of that movie Radio On that I talked about a while back. That's that's sort of how that movie feels. It's just this guy driving through like blasted late 70s, you know, industrial Britain, just driving endlessly listening to post-punk music. It's like, I relate to that way too hard. So um, I'm sure I was too busy watching the rest of it to get notes but it's somewhere around here is the point where you're bringing up Wait, right bill doesn't die here yeah um, it's it's i and i think it's to do with the driving like the the he's driving on and on uh and i think he comes to a forest or something 
And there's like, but and he doesn't, but he doesn't die, right? And and like you have sort of a chorus of voices saying that. Uh, and and I feel yeah. like this is another inner monologue type thing because it's uh, one of the first things we hear about him is that he has this fear of death. Like again, going back to the conversation with the girlfriend and the head in space. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, that's right. And then he and and the deathbed. He he talks a bit about death too. Like he's always been afraid of it, but well, here it is. Right. Whereas but, in this case, no. He, he, he never does dies. Not die. He, he becomes eternal. He's he will spend hundreds of years traveling the world. Um, he will build memories on memories until life runs on a loop. He will love and lose and love again. Uh, death will forever be a stranger, and Bill will outlive them all until all the lights go in the sky go out. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there was a lot more to that. Oh, there's a it, lot. It, yeah, it's this whole incredible speech, honestly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of just like him uh, projecting into the future as an eternal being and like reading all of the books and watching all of the movies and just experiencing all of life and becoming bored with it, but like continuing to live on and like living on past the earth and going into the cosmos until everything uh, just burns out. Yep. And, Which again, uh, like this huge cosmic size to the movie, despite being, you know, 50 minutes long and, <laughs> you know, uh, stick figure animation for the most part. Yeah, uh, like I felt like <laughs> I felt like I had watched some. Like <laughs> when I was done, I like I needed to go sit down and take a walk, but I can't do both. So I just got really high. And I felt like I had watched like a three-hour epic. Yeah, like I it's it's kind of an drained. yeah, it's a it's an emotionally draining experience in a really interesting way. And and I feel like it depends on how much one can relate to different elements of it. And I, I guess like how much of it is tied to your own experience of. Uh, mental illness or anxiety or uh, depression or or all of those things that are sort of like winding around Bill. Like he's sort of an everyman character for, uh, you know, every every mental illness. Yeah, yeah. Like because we see like there's in my at various points I've tried like I've written down at different points what I've thought was wrong with him. Like at first I thought Skip. I've written down that I thought schizophrenia at times. It seems like he's had a stroke. Um, Clearly deep psychosis. Yeah. At different uh, times. Yeah. And bad reaction to meds. Bad reaction to meds. That's. (laughs) I I had that last week. Woo. Yeah. (laughs) That was great. uh, Yeah. But yeah, a lot like a lot of the stuff, some of the stuff I should say, not a lot, but some of it, it, and this movie like i i personally have a real hard time talking about because it hits too close to home so oh for real yeah Yeah. like Um, and and that's the power of it is that some of it is absurd but some of it is so fucking real some of it is painfully real yeah like the bit with the fish heads looks like something right out of rejected yeah uh whereas but then like oh right uh the bit where uh, it parts of it like 
where all the memories were getting all scrambled up in different order reminded me actually of um, a scene from Bojack Horseman that I thought was really well done where we find out his mother has Alzheimer's and, or not a scene, an episode. Mm. And we just see the whole episode through her perspective and it's like her backstory, but it's told in, uh, in told disjointed yeah. order. Uh, the, like the face of certain characters are literally scribbled out because she can't remember what they are. And now I see, I think that episode was at least partially inspired by this. Cause I'd say very we likely see here um, faces are like, sometimes faces are like just drawn funny, but sometimes they're literally scribbled out in much the same way as they are in, in that episode of that of Bojack Horseman. Yeah. And it's an interesting part of that when, when he's talking about the faces because of the art style of this, where faces are kind of all the same to begin with, because it's such a minimalist style. It's, you know, it's kind of a stick figure style. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's interesting. It's a lot. It also <laughs> implies that the stick figure style is literally how this character sees himself in the world. Right. And that's why we have that moment where he feels like he's experiencing the world for the first time. And we have some photographic reality kind of put into the background. Uh, and, and it does feel like this is just sort of his experience of reality has been very minimalist prior to that. It's been really narrow and a lot of things don't have features because his mind just sort of overwhelms all other input. This movie's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's it's like it is fantastic and like you know. Oh yeah, a strong recommend. Yeah, and just like even though we've talked about it for an hour, there there's still so much more to it, even though we've talked about it longer than the movie. Yeah, we've, we've <laughs> just scratched the surface. It's incredibly dense with detail and concepts and emotions. Hmm. There's. There's so much going on, and uh, it's yeah, you'll 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 feel everything. <laughs> yeah, and of course, the end is it's such a beautiful day, just yeah. appears on the screen. Uh, but yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's a masterpiece. Uh, one of my very favorite films. Yeah. Uh, so, any last thoughts uh, before we move on to part three? Uh. Um, all the thoughts <laughs> all the thoughts yeah um, no i'm gonna sit with this one for a bit <laughs> yeah absolutely all right well yeah. we're heading on to part three and we are back for our third section where we talk about some movies watched in the past week and decide what we're gonna watch next week now uh, first of all we uh, got together on the weekend and watched the crippled avengers Oh yeah, from the from the uh, Shaw Brothers uh, box, that the Arrow Shaw Scope. Yeah, which we which had the uh, uh, King Boxer that we watched last week, or Five Fingers of Death. Indeed, uh, and uh, thoughts on the amazing <laughs> Crippled Avengers? Uh, not a very uh, PC movie. <laughs> nope. <laughs> one char- one character in particular. Uh, Wang Yi. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, his thing is they made him stupid. Uh, they... Uh, uh, and it's a little insensitive. 
Yeah, I mean, like, what happens to him is actually a kill in the Friday the 13th movie I watched this week. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they you know, put a put straps around his head and uh, break his brain. Uh, but he's still a great kung fu guy. Uh, so, like, oh, the, yeah. the whole concept of the movie is there's these four guys who are brutalized by this other guy who was brutalized. Like, it, it kind of starts out incredibly with just, like, Oh, he's not here. Cut off his wife's legs and his son's hands. And they do yeah, immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. like the so, son uh, ends this, up being the bad guy. Yeah, the son and the son and his dad uh go out on this ridiculous revenge spree of crippling basically anyone people. who looks at him funny. Yeah. Like literally people who look at him funny in some cases. Right. And um, so, like, you know, one of the whole thing is like, as, hey, as long as we don't kill, it's not evil. Yeah. And so, like, there's one guy who gets his legs cut off. So he has to have iron legs, which he fights with. Uh, obviously, there's Wang Yi. Who, uh, you know, <laughs> um, one guy becomes deaf and mute. One guy is blinded. Yeah, because I think he's the one who looked at them funny. Uh, and so, you know, they all have to band together and get their revenge, their extremely bloody revenge. And a lot of his incredible training montages. And mm -hmm. like one of the great things about this one is there's it's extra inventive uh, because it's it's just such an unusual concept. So like you you don't really get to see. Like it's 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 not uncommon to have someone with some sort of physical disability, like you know Zadowichi is blind. Yeah. But to have just you know, a team of them and all of them doing their training and all of these interesting training montages, the special ways that they learned their special techniques. And just the special way that all three of them have to work together just to communicate with one another. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So cool. Uh, like, a very high recommend. We might cover this one at some point because it's uh, a I'd blast. I'd say it's likely. Yeah. It's, it's such a blast. Um, like, like, it might have my favorite fight scenes out of all the ones of these that I've seen so far. Very possibly. Like, they're really over the top. I love that, like, the, the son, the evil son, has his iron hands that are, like, extendo and they fire darts. So cool, like just yeah. layers and layers of coolness. Even though you know it's a, it's problematic. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. There's there's some issues, but if we ever cover it, we'll definitely talk about we'll talk about that too. Of course. Uh, so this week we have uh, only a few choices, uh, five choices. As I said, I had a bad reaction to some medication last week and was a little bit off my game. <laughs> Right. But, um, another kind, one of those, maybe not intentionally, but almost uh, another stacked deck week. Yeah. So first up is Black Widow. Uh, I, I decided to pick up the four MCU movies since the start of the pandemic because I didn't see any of them in theater and I don't have any streaming. So picked them up and I, I watched the first of them. It's not great. <laughs> yeah, I kind of forgot that Black Widow had a movie. 
Yeah, well, it's it's such a problem because she's already dead in the mainline universe. Spoilers if you didn't see Endgame, which is like an unbelievably uh, popular movie that most of the world saw. I'm sorry. Uh, but it, it makes it lack stakes. I forgot we... that she died in Endgame. Oh, really? Yep. Because I... I know you've seen it because I saw it with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I saw it, but like it was one of those things like after Endgame, I was just like, okay, done with Marvel now. Um, right. And then it's and just like she didn't die out in of Endgame. my head. Right. It was the one before it. It was Infinity War that she died in. Or which one's first? Oh. Infinity War? Yeah. Infinity War came first, but like everyone died in that. Right, but she's the only one that didn't come back. Oh, right, of course. She's the only character, and then, you know, they give her this movie. And it really feels like they shot the female-led MCU movies in the foot by setting both of them in the past. It really lessens the stakes on both of them. Well, I I don't remember if Captain Marvel felt that way to me or not. I don't remember feeling that way, but... I mean, at least Captain Marvel, yeah, I mean, at at least there you weren't familiar with the character in the future, but yeah. Oh, yeah. That one, I I feel, has its problems as well, but they're, like, this one isn't as good as that one, and that one already kind of has problems. I do think there's interesting stuff. Uh, Like, I like the characters. It's still, you know, incredible special effects. There's still pretty unbelievable cast. Uh, You got David Harbour from... Stranger Things oh, as yeah, her dad. Sheriff. Oh, yeah. okay. He's the Red Guardian. Uh, hmm. So it's kind of too serious for one thing. And it's kind of rubbery in terms of the battles. They Like, she's not super powered. But it's right. got kind of that Zack Snyder Watchmen kind of thing of like, hmm. why is she, what, how, how is this happening is for someone who is not super? Walls? Like, yeah, it's not right. quite that bad, but... Yeah, a comedian had superpowers in that movie, and he shouldn't have. He should not have. Uh, and it just feels, well, yeah, it yeah. it feels a little too serious uh, because, like, there is the you know the typical Marvel humor shot through it, but it doesn't fit together very well because of that. It it feels like it's just it feels kind of dour. Uh, mm-hmm. My biggest problem with it is a really geeky thing. The character Taskmaster is like a really great Marvel villain who his whole thing is just he never does the villain high speak. He he talks like a regular guy. He's just a mercenary. He He's sort of proto-Deadpool in that way. He just kind of calls it like it is. Right. And he literally doesn't have a voice in the movie. There's Oh. They, it's all in oh, service. Oh, like that of, time they made Deadpool without a voice. Right, exactly. That's what flashed in my mind. Uh, oh, my it, God. And it's all in service of a twist that I feel was both obvious and not great. But, like, I, I don't dislike the movie, but it definitely feels lesser. Like, it, it's a low-tier Marvel movie. Mm, that's a shame. Yeah, it's kind but of a bummer. I probably wouldn't have, probably wouldn't have anyway gone with that. I'm, like... I'll watch them if we're going as a group, but I'm not going to sit down in my living room and pop a Marvel movie in. Uh, it's that's fair. It's a group thing, not a. I want to sit and watch this. That's that's thing. totally fair. Yeah. It's like it's like a ride. 
Kind of. I mean, when when as we mentioned, I think last week when we were talking about movies that are enhanced by 3D, the first Doctor Strange, we saw it in 4DX or whatever. It was Doctor Strange the Ride. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> um, so next up is Too Fast, Too Furious. Uh, the sequel oh, yes. to The Fast and the Furious. Weird. This one I don't recall if I've seen or not. I know I saw the first one. So this one has no Vin Diesel. Okay. Because he's, you know, off in South America or something. It does have Paul Walker. It sort of does the same thing. It has him undercover in another street racing thing, except it's got this whole drug running plot. He's he's like dealing with a Coke dealer in Florida, which is weird. It kind of feels okay. off for the series. I think it looks a lot better. I, I like uh, Singleton's style a lot more than I like Rob Cohen's style. It's kind of almost Speed Racer-esque in terms of just being really colorful and having kind of a lot of CGI cars and stuff. Oh, that's right. Speed. I got to watch Speed Racer one of these days. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's one I got to get a copy of and we'll do it because that's great movie. Uh, this is nowhere near as good. Uh, it's about equal to the first, I'd say. Maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse. Uh, I do really feel that the lack of Vin Diesel hurts it. I the Like, the chemistry between them is good. I don't feel like Paul Walker has anywhere near the same chemistry with uh, Tyrese, who's the new star in this. Uh, oh, I forgot about him. I forgot he existed. Um, and he becomes a big part of the series from this point. Oh. Oddly enough, like Tyrese and Ludacris are both uh, introduced in this, and they go on to be major characters in the rest of the series. Oh, right. There's that Ludacris meme that's from a Fast and the Furious movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Um, I definitely haven't seen anything past uh, Too Fast, Too Furious. Interesting. See, I've... I, I started with four and five, and five is great. Five is a blast. One of those is the one where The Rock shows up, right? That's five. <laughs> that one's that one's is awesome. Is is he allowed to take punches in that, or or is the contract already in place? I feel like maybe he could. Then uh, this was sort of early on in the Rock superstar cycle. Like this is around the same time that they put him in the GI Joe sequel. Oh yeah, he was the Scorpion King. <laughs> oh yeah, back then I've yeah. never seen any of the Mummy movies. I have. I don't remember him. <laughs> I saw fair. them all and I don't remember them. That's totally fair. I mean, those those are those big disposable popcorn blockbuster kind of thing that proliferated in that like brief period over the millennium pre 9-11, like, you know, circa 98 to 2001, where it's like The Rock, uh, National Treasure, which I never saw. The Rundown. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, an Independence Day, which I think sucks, <laughs> honestly. I, uh, I've, I haven't seen it in so long. Last time uh, I saw it was in a hotel room flipping through channels, and it was bad. But I don't know. Uh, I never really liked that movie all that much, to be fair. Welcome to Earth. Boom. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. Bad, bad. <laughs> uh, real bad. <laughs> Uh, next up is Army of Darkness, of course. Of course. Uh, going through the, the Raimis. Uh, yeah. This is the one that I've seen so much. Yeah, it's medieval dead. You got Bruce Campbell as 
the action hero jerk ass god. He's he kind of reaches his final form. Yep. Um, yeah, he is the action hero now. Yeah, I mean one liners all the time. Just one liners. This is constantly. <laughs> Uh, I love all the stop motion skeletons. You got all the stuff with like the mini ashes. You've got evil ash. Evil ash, yeah. Uh, um, it 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 feels still like the same tone as the as like one and two in a certain way. Like it has that slapstick. It still feels like friends making a backyard movie, but just with an unbelievable budget. <laughs> yeah, well. I, I was listening to the Blank Check podcast, uh, mm. who's covering the Raimi movies, and they were saying Army of Darkness is what they wanted to make with when they made Evil Dead 2. Yeah, because they, they did have that concept for Medieval Dead. Yeah, like, like well, I mean, it's referenced in the book that they find. Mm. Uh, and yeah, it, it's like, it, it's one that... It's the one I originally saw as a kid. It's the first one I saw. I do think both of the first two are better because this one's shaggy. It, it's got it's a little lumpy in places, but it's yeah. got so much that's satisfying. It's just okay. a really fun movie. Right on. Uh, next up is FX. <laughs> I talked a bit about this one last week. There was a TV series spinoff of this show. Oh, I've heard of the TV show then. I watched the show quite a bit as a kid. I, I was kind of surprised coming back to the movie because I also saw the movie on TV when I was younger. It's surprisingly hard edged in terms of like the violence. It's it's kind of a gritty crime thriller when I was expecting something kind of goofier because it's, you know, it's Home Alone almost. Oh, really? OK. Because <laughs> like, okay, so there, it's this special effects guy. Uh, Raleigh something or other he's Australian he's a top effects guy and some corrupt Justice Department officials want him to fake the death of a mob informant uh, played by the great Jerry Orbach you probably know from Law and Order never saw it oh really wow (laughs) Uh, of course I, I never got into any of those like televised crime specials until CSI long after it had aired and I didn't even get that into it. Hmm. I mean, I, I never watched it deeply, but like, it's one of those shows that is just always on and that I would sometimes watch because you could just drop into it anytime. No serialization, just, you know, right. reiterating the same points over and over. And I, and I love Jerry Orbach. I think he's great. And, you know, he pulls the thing off and then he's double crossed and they try to kill him. So he's on the run from these corrupt officials uh, and he's fighting them using special effects. <laughs> OK. OK. And again, like, yeah, you know, it's like home home alone, but on the run. So he's doing home alone traps and illusions and, you know, throwing mannequins at people and using trip wires and shit. <laughs> they're not tricks. They're illusions, Michael. <laughs> uh, I didn't uh, the voice. It makes really great use of New York locations. Uh, it's got Brian Dennehy, who's a character actor I absolutely love as oh, I know the cop. Brian after him. Yeah, Brian Dennehy rules. Uh, he's the cop who's trying to track him down, but isn't a bad guy. He's just trying to figure out okay. what the hell's going on. Right. It's, it's pretty good. Cool. Uh, cool. Very like distinct 80s action sleaze. And not even all that sleazy, but like kind of more violent than you might expect. <laughs> all right. And last one is Friday the 13th, A New Beginning. 
the fifth one uh roy the movie <laughs> roy the movie this is the imposter jason uh there there oh. is no real jason in this uh which is why a lot of people hate it i i've kind of feel like maybe this time i've sort of come around to it uh it's definitely the sleaziest in the series it's got uh the most gruesome kills but they're so heavily censored you'd barely know it <laughs> like i said it, it it does have the wang yi thing it, it has someone like getting a strap around their head and their head crushed and it, like most of the, the it, it also has the most swearing the most drug use and the most sex of any of the friday the 13th movies oh wow uh, so also, death to all teenagers who fucking use drugs. It really is like more than any of the other Friday the Thirteenth ones. It really feels like it's leaning into the negative tropes of the slasher because uh, the characters are kind of unpleasant. You got a lot of poop jokes. Uh, oh, <laughs> it's weird. But I would say that one of its strongest or one of its biggest strengths is that it's really visually striking. Like it has a lot of great imagery. Uh, it's, it almost feels like comic book panels at times. Like you'll, you'll get this sort of really striking image of something like, uh, our main character looking at like a neon sign and just bathed in the glow of it. And, and it's, it's sort of unusual for this series up to this point. All right. Uh, that's it. Those are our five. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh geez, that's it. Okay. Um, well, we've followed Ash this far. Yeah, may as well do. Might as well uh, do the last, or I guess it's not the last Evil Dead movie is, anymore, is it? Uh, there is the Evil Dead remake, which I do plan on watching in the next week. Okay. Uh, um, I, I Cool. There is also the Ash vs. Evil Dead TV series, which I have not watched. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of, the yeah. TV series. Uh, I do have the first two seasons of that, and I really got to start watching it. <laughs> is that Bruce uh, Campbell, too? It is, indeed. Oh, cool. Uh, so uh, we've... Go ahead, please. Oh, no, no. Uh, I was just saying, yeah, so... Uh, evil. I'm thinking Evil Dead. Yeah, uh, Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness is great. Uh, so we've got four editions. Uh, right. First, obviously, Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. <laughs> when we're Tokyo drifting all over the place. Uh, uh, neither Walker or Diesel in this one. Oh, really? None of the main cast. I think maybe oh. some of the people from this one maybe appear in later ones. They may have pulled some of them in, but I think it's just sort of a weird off entry. Like it's set in Tokyo and they do drift racing. Uh, it's directed by Justin Lin, who actually goes on to direct a bunch of the others in the series, though. Right. Uh, I don't know much more about that one. <laughs> it's not well liked, is my understanding. Oh, really? But I think it's, it's definitely weirdly... the one I've heard the most of just because of the title the meme about the sequel name. Yeah. Yeah. Although Too Fast, Too Furious is the better sequel name and it rules. Oh, <laughs> Uh, next up is Jess Franco's The Demons. Uh, so the Jess Demons. Franco, I've, you know, I've been talking about Jess Franco a lot. You you, you know my thing, right? Sex Nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one is his ripoff of the Ken Russell movie, The Devils. Oh. 
so it's a nunsploitation. It's it's the Ludon, the Devils of Ludon. Oh, okay, okay. Cool. Uh, the the whole demonic possession hysteria thing. Uh, but it's yeah. the Jess Franco way. I hear it's one okay. of his better ones. Ooh, all right. Uh, next up is Star Slammer. Uh, women in prison movie, but in space. Space jail. Oh, boy. All right. Cool. So, you know, you've got the lesbian guards, but you've also got giant mutant rats and stuff like that. It's a Fred Olin Ray movie. I'm a big fan of him in terms of 80s trash. He's he's one of the greats. Uh, this is one I haven't seen before. I just, just got that. Uh, looks pretty cool. Uh, and last, I... I, I I, I haven't been moving them forward, but I guess I should just because I'm going to go through the whole set again and then we can just reset it to one uh, Friday the 13th, six Jason lives uh, oh. in which Jason lives. <laughs> he's, oh, I see. He's, uh, he is brought back to life by lightning in the opening sequence. And, and it's, it's a, it's an unusual one. It's kind of the best loved of the sequels uh, because it adds some comedic elements. It's the first one to sort of be a little more tongue in cheek. It's got like, a paintball tournament happening at uh, Camp Crystal Lake that Jason interrupts. Stuff like that. Okay, interesting. Right on. Uh, so those uh, are the only additions. Uh, what do you think for our main feature? Um, I'm thinking... Um, I'm thinking... Uh, I'm thinking Moonstruck because it took us too long to first get to Nicolas Cage. I don't want to leave him hanging again. All right, so a Cher and Nicolas Cage romantic comedy. This is a movie I have not seen in maybe 20 years, maybe more, maybe 30 years. God, I probably first, I probably last watched this on TV in the 90s. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a classic. I think it won Oscars. Uh, I think Nicolas Cage may have been nominated for Best oh, Actor yeah. for this I'm or not- something. Oh, I'm looking at the picture. Oh man, Nicolas Cage looks so young. It's so yeah. This he is still looks very much like Nicolas Cage. It's it's 1987, so this is like uh, a year after Raising Arizona, maybe. Oh wow. So yeah, really early, uh, a very significant uh, part of the Nicolas Cage puzzle. But like when he was still a really respected character actor, which he's he is again. But he went through that weird sort of period where he was the grindhouse guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. he's, he's got the most fascinating career. He he has a really interesting uh, filmography and, uh, and career, yes. Yeah, and like he's he's made a lot of my favorite movies. Uh, I I would say especially uh, recently uh, the the one made by uh, Panos Cosmatos or. Is it George Cos- George P. Cosmatos? I think it's Panos Cosmatos is the son. Wow. I should know this. He's a local director. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but, you know, uh, the the retro 80s Mandy, which is right. uh, one of my absolute favorites of the past decade. That's, that's a good one. Uh, all right. So next week we'll be covering Moonstruck and Army of Darkness. Uh, interesting pair. Kind of an odd pairing, I gotta say. Uh, Moonstruck, yeah. I think, is written by John Patrick Shanley, notably, who we uh, did Joe vs. the Volcano by as well. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. He wrote and directed that after, I think, winning the Oscar for writing Moonstruck. It's cool. Oh, neat. 
All right. So, uh, any final thoughts? Um, no, my my thoughts have been all over the place since uh, watching. It's a beautiful day, and <laughs> I, I I I put everything into words that I can at this point. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thanks so much for listening, and it's such a beautiful day.